Welcome to the Cycle 365. This is episode 33, recorded on May 20th, 2020. I'm one of your co-hosts, Cody Stoffer. I'm Simon Voyanos. And I'm Jesse Booten. And we got a couple topics for you in the realm of sport today, including the continuation of our fantasy fictional football draft. But first, we're going to get into recent news in the NFL and that is the Rooney Rule changes and some proposals. Simon, you brought this up to me when you sent me the consideration for draft picks for minority hiring. What are your thoughts on what the rule changes were? Or do you want me to read through what the changes were first? Oh, so let's go over the actual changes first. And then we could, we could discuss that because there are some other things proposed that may or may not still be on the table but we'll have to see so yeah let's go over the actual changes okay so these are new changes the rooney rule originally was where every nfl team had to interview at least one candidate for head coach that was a minority but now teams will be required to interview at least two candidates from outside their organization for any vacant head coaching job and this is also included for offensive, defensive, or special teams coordinator. You have to interview one minority for those positions, too. Is and it, didn't I hear a thing, too, about they also have to have a general manager, or is that the general manager has to interview that? Yeah, it's also been expanded to, I was going to get to that, The it's been expanded to executive positions where they are required to interview minorities or female applicants for team president, senior executives in communication, finance, human resources, legal, football operations, sales, marketing, sponsorship, info, tech, and security positions. So those are all the office positions that are now, that the Rooney Rule has expanded to. And there is also a change where there's like a coaching fellowship program where um, I guess basically like, so it says, quote, to provide NFL legends, minority and female participants with hands-on training and NFL coaching. So it's basically like a mentorship program, I guess, for lack of a better word, where people who aren't in the coaching realm will get a one to two year, basically internship is what it sounds like, to A, get connections and B, learn more about football and See the real op- the real goal is to expand opportunity. So those are the biggest changes, and then there's also there was one more change for anti tampering, where um, interviewing coordinators or position coaches it's a bit more lax for teams that are still in the playoffs and stuff like that. So it's like assistant coaches in general, all of them have opportunity for more interviews and jobs. Those are the rule changes. I see. Didn't I also hear a rumor that the NFL was going to reward 
um, those teams that did hire minorities on their coaching staff with draft picks in future drafts? This was one of the proposals that has been tabled for a later date on voting. All right, that's that's good. Um, I, I knew it was I knew it was not on the table anymore, but I just wanted to put it out there for our viewers. So that's a very interesting idea. So we can go into that too when we uh, really dive into this. Yeah. So obviously, representation in the NFL is kind of a problem right now. Yes. <laughs> No, no, and I'm just putting out there that I think that there's four minority head coaches in the NFL right now. And uh, after the Rooney Rule was originally put in place, a little bit of history for you. Two years after the Rooney Rule was first put into place, there were two minority coaches coaching in the Super Bowl. But since then, there, there hasn't been like an actual growth in minority representation because a lot of teams are finding loopholes to the rule, like just interviewing somebody, but not actually considering them for the job. So Simon, what do you think of some of the changes that they did make and will it make a difference? Oh, to, to answer that first question, I don't think it'll make a difference just because I mean, there still are loopholes and there's really no way around it. So obviously, let me, let me backtrack. So. There's a reason that this rule has to be put in place, and it's because, you know, NFL ownership, the brass and all those people, they have not done anything to help out minorities. Not as much, you know. I would definitely say, first off, shout out to my Pittsburgh Steelers. This is the organization that proposed it. That honestly, has done its due diligence in, you know, hiring the best. Uh, they've, I mean, okay, I don't want to quote me on this, but I've definitely pretty sure in the last couple of years when it's come to hiring like just assistant coaches and whatnot they've probably hired the most minorities at least that i could think of because i want to say a lot of well, maybe not now but before a lot of a lot of our staff were um minorities like african-american or whatever you know and that that was big but just because the steelers did it and you know hired the best available coaches doesn't mean every team does it and being honest, I think teams will continue to, yes, interview candidates that may not be as qualified with no real intent in ever signing them. And that's something that's been happening. It will probably continue to happen. The only difference is that they have to interview one more person. You know? And so that's that's just my opinion on it. But I think this is something that's needed because you got to start pushing some of these teams to, like, to be a little bit more progressive. Because in my opinion, football along with maybe hockey might be one of the least progressive sports in the world, I would say. And it's, it's pretty sad. Not going to lie, you know, like pretty rare if you're not like a white or African American, see somebody of color, like either as a player or as a coach or even as an owner in the NFL, you know, I'm pretty sure all the owners except for one are white people. That's just how that is. So, uh, so yeah. What do you think of the changes to the rule? And do you think that they will cause any actual change? I'd have, to, I'd have to agree with Simon. I don't think it'll bring a lot of change. I mean, obviously we've tried to, like the NFL has tried to implement this, this rule. And, um, yes, you said that there are loopholes that they're finding now, but I mean, like Simon said, I think. I think loopholes will still be found even if you have to just interview one more um, coach of, minor of, of like the minority. 
but um, I mean, it does show a little bit, bit of progression in in the NFL. They're they're making a stab at it, I could say. So it definitely could take off into something that that could be, be useful in the future. But um, I don't see a ton of change coming recent or like in the early stages of this. It would mean be more of a long term deal that would um, you know try to start spark change now and and have the really reap the benefits in like I don't know five ten years stuff like that um so i think that 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 is what i think about about the rules i think the, what they implemented i would have liked to see a little bit more of like like Simon said a push um just having them interview one more minority candidate i don't think really is the push that that the nfl needs if they're really going to see some advancements in um in equal representation um so i think that they could definitely do more and i know i, I touched on it while we were talking about the rules I do think a reward could be could be helpful. Maybe not draft picks. I feel like that's a little bit overkill, but um, it could be some sort of reward. But then you get into another aspect of like, well, then it's like still is kind of. I think it could could still be a little bit oppressive for um, for the minorities because then teams are looking at them like, oh well, if I get this this minority on my uh, on the coaching staff, then I'm going to get a reward, and they start looking at it like, I want the reward, and I don't really care about who this person actually is, which is, is, is a big deal. I also know a thing being a coach, you know, if we look at the NFL player representation, the people that are actually doing anything is mostly people of color. So I think, I think that's a big overlook that a lot of people that over a lot of a big thing that a lot of people overlook is like, I know those guys would like love to see people that are like them coaching them. So, I mean, like, it's just, it's a very weird dynamic, but I think, that yes, these proposals do, you know, show that the NFL is actively trying to, to fix this problem. Uh, I, I would agree. Just because I think or we think the rule wouldn't work doesn't mean it's not something that's a necessary step in that level of progression for the NFL. I think that's important to say, you know, because uh, like the fact that this is even a conversation that they got to make rules provide opportunities just to be interviewed not even hired but just to be interviewed it's a lot about the nfl and the culture of football honestly and oh what it really is interesting because a lot of players nowadays are you know people of color so it's interesting why some of those players aren't getting coaching opportunities after they're done playing or as many coaching opportunities after they're done playing because i know that's definitely something that happens in the nba and other leagues as well you know just that natural transition from player to coach but maybe that could be helped out a little bit more which you know comes in the mentorship program that you mentioned earlier Cody. so you guys both mentioned you know, that there's a lot of minority players in the NFL. And I actually have demographics pulled up from uh, this is from 2014. So these numbers probably have changed maybe a couple percentage points, but I don't see them being huge changes. So of the players in the league, about 68% of them are African-American, 28% white and 4% Asian slash Pacific Islander and a combination of non-white Hispanics. So you guys both said it and we got, we've, we've all had, you know, experience in experience in learning about coaching or coaching and we've all played too. And there is 
like a psychological sense of comfort and familiarity with being coached by someone who looks like you and it it in, it increases or enhances the player experience or athletic experience we've learned about this and we see this happening more and more in you know female sports where there's more female coaches but even then that's still a bit of a problem where there's even a lot of males coaching female sports regardless of what studies show you know and i think that this is a step in the right direction for the nfl and i do want to point out that there's some pros to this that may have bigger domino effects like the offensive coordinator and all the coordinator positions you know what i'm saying because even though they only have to interview one or two minorities for those positions that's increasing the number of hiring opportunities for minorities. And I think that that in turn, like Jesse was saying further down the road, could lead to more head coaches that are that are minorities and such. But I agree with both of you in the sense that I don't think it's enough right now. Yeah, no, for sure. And to speak on having a person of color or somebody that you could relate to as a coach, I mean, this is just my personal experience, but, and it's a middle school experience, but it's still something that it's, it's, it's important to bring up because it's still a little bit relatable, but I was a football player down in Texas and we were coached by this guy. I, I'm not going to say his name. Well, actually I'll, I'll just say his name, coach McCord, you know, he's now a principal at another school and he was a great guy and he was cool, but definitely was coaching at a school that had a lot of people of color. There was pretty big gap between his understanding of our culture and then you know, the culture he grew up in and knows well pretty well I would say and I, I think that for a lot of years because he coached there for almost 10 years that it just rubbed a lot of people wrong there and a lot of the kids couldn't relate to him even even if some could like it was a little weird like it was definitely a weird kind of like not gonna go too deep into it because i know it's a sensitive topic and it's texas but you could probably guess what i'm getting at just a interesting dynamic between you know a white male and a bunch of people of color and then what the school district eventually just got tired and we were like look or this area in the city is probably where we get most of our talent like you have guys who have nfl talent that aren't getting developed and maybe it's not specifically you or what it is but you know we gotta bring in somebody that could actually develop this talent and so they brought in this guy the first african-american coach in our school history which has been around for over 100 years it's a coach and ever since then we've won a city championship for for like the last 10 years i would say and you know he's such a relatable guy and it definitely does make a difference having somebody of color or somebody of your background like coaching you and it means a lot because then that says well look you know i'm not just defined as a player there's a future outside of uh, of playing in this sport and for a lot of people that's something that a lot of kids a lot of players need to see in my opinion which hasn't been shown you know a lot over the last couple of years outside of maybe the occasional mike tomlin type of guy tony dungy type of guy that's hired hmm. i want to say something about that I, I thought of i just thought of this and it's kind of a funny funny example but um it just goes back to what you were saying simon about how the nba has has a good program for bringing up um players and transitioning into coaches and the nfl does not do that playing nba 2k um in a franchise mode, you can, if your players are going to retire, give them an opportunity to coach on your Ooh. team. 
but you don't see that in game in in Madden's or in NFL games. Um, so I think I mean it's a silly example, but um, it does just show how how unprogressive you could say that the NFL is with this this situation. Yeah. And you could even point it out to just like the culture, you know, like the NBA is eager to have the great minds step into coaching. I mean, and you have, you know, successful examples such as Doc Rivers, who's been coaching. I mean, he's more well known as a coach than he ever was as a player, really. And, you know, he has a championship ring and his teams are always in contention. And there's also been plenty of success for like of African-American coaches in the NFL, such as Mike Tomlin and Tony Dungy, both Super Bowl winning head coaches, along with Ron Rivera, who's a minority coach, who's been in a Super Bowl. So there's been a ton of success, but yet we haven't seen an uptick in the amount of minority coaches. Oh, it's it's kind of crazy, to be honest. You know, last year we literally just celebrated, what, the 100th year of the NFL? obviously football's been going on longer than that and and this is where we're at progressively oh and it's a little definitely concerning and i don't know honestly like i'm i'm a person of color obviously and i mean i would kill to have a head coaching you know job in the nfl if i was qualified for that even if i was qualified i'll just be honest like i think it would be hard for me to picture myself in a position to be hired by anybody just because i know the nfl is definitely a very connection based uh organization i would say like if you know somebody it goes a long way than like maybe sometimes even actual experience which is why the likes of freddie kitchens is hired uh, if we go back a little bit farther mike tom sula or whatever is that tom sula jim tom sula uh, head coach for the 49ers the year cap uh, basically had his worst year right after they hired Chip Kelly and it's it's crazy you know but I'm being honest like I'm a qualified candidate I'm trying to get a job in the NFL I would probably not trust a bunch of older you know, maybe more traditional minded owners and GMs who have all the power to either hire me or and make my career or just blackball me for all they care I mean let's be real this is the same organization that you know, basically blackballed Colin Kaepernick for making a political protest. Obviously, there's a lot of things to that, but it definitely says a lot when you look at the NBA and you see multiple NBA players like LeBron and whatnot you know, making protests like that, and then them not getting anywhere near to being blackballed as as they did to the NFL. And so, if I'm a person of color, that's not something that makes me more trustful of of ownership in the NFL. Yeah, and. It kind of makes me sad to think about this. If you think about the two organizations of the NBA and the NFL, um, I would get, say the NBA gives off a great, you know, a great vibe and uh, just vision of we want to be all inclusive. We want everyone to enjoy enjoy our sport and and the excitement and just you know it, they want it to be a very inspiring thing. Whereas the NFL, I feel like all they care about is money. Um, they don't care what they don't care what. Um, f- experiences fans have, players have, or anything like that. They just want the money, and that that saddens me as as a you know, a football guy. Um, that that's what the organization really looks like and stands for. I mean, you can see it in the draft. Obviously, it's great that they raised so much money for for COVID, but that's literally what every time the commissioner came on, they were like, "Let's raise money, let's raise money." All they cared about was money, not about like how their people like or how their fans or players are actually doing. 
and you can see it in the NBA again. With that, they want to be an all-inclusive, get everyone involved, and give everyone a great time. So I think that that's um, a thing, again, where the NBA could definitely be a, uh, a goal for, for other organizations like the NHL, like you said, Simon, and the NFL to try to shoot for um, to be more of an all-inclusive organization. Now, we... Uh, I agree with you, Jesse, but I'm going to bring up what, we, what we've lightly brought up a few times. For draft pick compensation for hiring minorities. Now, uh, I do want to point out that the compensation, I believe, was third round picks or even fourth or fifth round picks. And Jesse, earlier you said you're not sure about that. What makes you unsure about later round draft picks as... as I guess a reward where, you know, it's to a point where, you know, it's like around like round four where you're not going to get like a bona fide superstar for hiring a minority if you're an owner, but you know, you do get something. Yeah. The only reason I, I think like, I, I kind I like the idea. Like, I think it would just throw, throw, you know, a big, a big new thing into the draft and it would just make it more fun because the draft's one of my favorite times of year. But the only thing that like he- makes me hesitate is, like I said, it makes I think I feel like it dehumanizes people. It makes them feel more like a like, oh, this is just a a chess piece that I could bring in in order to get an advantage in the draft next year. So I think it just really, you know, puts a, a label on on minority coaches as like, oh, this could be a, an advantage for me to bring in. I don't care what they do on the football field. I just want to get that extra draft pick. So I think it definitely just doesn't like yeah it makes i feel like it could make coaches and organizations um being the being the teams in the nfl not the nfl as a whole but um the teams in the nfl look as more of um less of minorities as great coaches and more of just oh i can get a reward from doing this i just feel like they don't care about them as humans as much as they would if they just hired them for for being good coaches simon what are your thoughts Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I definitely see what could be seen like that because basically what it's boiling down to is that we're hiring a minority coach and getting compensation for that. Like outside of, I guess they don't get compensation at all. So yeah, you're hiring a minority coach and you're getting extra compensation for that. So that's that's what it is, you know? And I could definitely see how it could look demeaning because you're putting a price on minority head coaches, but maybe this is just because this is how desperate most people of color are when it comes to trying to coach in the nfl if i'm being honest i don't really see a lot of people of color minding this as much just because it's you know an opportunity to coach in the nfl is an opportunity um but yeah i mean honestly a minority coach is not going to look stupid for taking a job you know the team getting a third round pick it's the organization that looks stupid because basically uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't see many organizations doing this unless their names are the Cleveland Browns or the Cincinnati Bengals. I really don't think they would hire a coach best to get a third-round talent who may or may not even be on the team in three or four years. Oh, and so that doesn't reflect bad on a minority coach. I think that reflects bad on an organization valuing basically a whole team success um, in favor of a third-round talent. And so I don't think minority coaches feel pressure from that standpoint, but it still doesn't mean that like, oh, there's really getting, I mean, they're getting hired and 
teams are getting compensated for that. It shouldn't be like that. The best person available should be the coach. The thing is, that's just not it. You know, maybe this is something that has to happen, and then in a couple of years it could be repealed. But you know, I mean, it's honestly at this point it's all on the NFL. You know, I think people of color they're pretty desperate for football coaching jobs in general. You know, and then even furthermore, even jobs in the NFL, they don't care how they're hired when they're in there. Their attitude, you know, they gotta they gotta think about football and winning, and that's it. If you're thinking about how how you're hired, then you're thinking too much about the whole process, and you probably shouldn't be a coach, and you're in your own head. So I think, you know, uh, people of color wouldn't mind that, but I could definitely see how other people might hesitate, you know, putting you know some some compensation in hiring a person of color just because they're underrepresented which doesn't make it in my opinion it doesn't make it a bad thing at least from my perspective it just encourages you know people of color getting hired so i'm going to echo a little bit of what both you guys said because anthony lynn you know one of the few minority coaches in the nfl he was quoted as saying something along the lines of you know it it shouldn't have to do that like you shouldn't be attached to a draft pick which is part of the sentiment that jesse brought up but he did acknowledge that, you know, it just it just might have to happen because of how bad it is. And I think that, Simon, you were onto something when you said this could just be something for a few years. And by a few years, I mean, like, maybe a decade. Because if, I mean, it's a very small, small compensation, right? We're talking third or fourth round draft picks. And I actually really like this idea for you know maybe 10 years where we see an uptick in minority head coaches being hired and also an uptick in minority assistant coaches right because if you plant the seed right which is what 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 the Rooney rule was supposed to be it's not supposed to be in the NFL forever there's supposed to be a system where minorities are able to get a fair chance at getting hired and i think that doing draft pick compensation would be good I think for maybe 10, maybe even 20 years where, you know, it gets to the point where, I mean, there's been all white coaching staffs or close to in the NFL, even today, right? Where you only find one, maybe two minorities, including every position coach. But if we can get to the point where there's a coaching staff that has over half or over 60% minorities, that might be a time where we could peel back the rule because there's actually a system in place for minorities to get hired in the NFL. And Simon, you talked about it too. It's all about who you know in the NFL. So if there's multiple minority coaches with multiple assistant positions and multiple position coaches that are minorities, then I don't think it's such a big deal because then it's more of a level playing field. Necessary for now. I was going to go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, I think it's an absolutely necessary move for the betterment of the future of sport that is the NFL. Yeah, and I was going to say say at the end of my thing, I definitely could see, again, like I talked about, this could mean the spark. I definitely could see it being in just a, a thing to get things rolling. Um, I, I mean, I have nothing against it. Like I said, I think it would be a great, fun thing to add, and I definitely think it could help out. So I think, yeah, having it at the beginning would be very beneficial. Sure, I agree. I am still looking forward to seeing the first Asian American head coach in the NFL because I have not seen one in my entire lifetime. 
I've seen one on the college level, which is also the only one in college history. So, that would be cool. Not Do the right thing, NFL. Like you've heard it from the cycle 365. We are for the Rooney rule and we are for advancements of the Rooney rule for the betterment of the sport of football and the NFL in particular. And I just want to say, I know at the very beginning, Cody, you said that there's only been like in the last decade, there's only been like what a few minority coaches in the Super Bowl. And it just made me think of, well, it's kind of hard when uh, the last 10 years, Bill Belichick and the Patriots are basically in every <laughs> single one. So <laughs> one of them's already taken. So. Fair enough. I mean, that is like half a decade. So, <laughs> but yeah. that's not going to happen anymore because pa- the, the Patriots are not going to be good. So thank goodness. Yeah. I'm, I'm putting my faith in Brian Flores. Not gonna <laughs> Brian Flores, <laughs> it is up to you. Not only to uh, not only to take down Bill Belichick, but <laughs> pave the way for others as well. Yeah, I'm just gonna say this as an ending note. I mean, I get it if you are against this because it kind of dehumanizes people of color. At the same time, if like you're really that mad, like super mad about this rule, that's a little suspect on your character, and uh, I think you should check yourself real quick because that's. I'm just saying people of color wouldn't mind getting opportunities. All we need is an opportunity. Like you don't have to hire us. It's just an opportunity to interview. That's it. So. There are some people really mad about that, but it is what it is. Any other thoughts here? No, I think it's good. It'll be fun to see what happens moving forward. Yeah. So stay tuned. The cycle will continue to update our takes on updates to the Rooney rule now and forever because the cycle is 365 it's forever baby but that does it for this segment coming up next simon and jesse talk college football playoff and what the future of it looks like Welcome back to the Cycle 365. Uh, for our second segment here, we're going to talk college football. Um, you know, I just got a job as a college football coach, and it's kind of on my mind right now. So let's uh, go ahead and jump into this today. We're going to talk about a big um, controversial issue thing that's been going on a lot ever since uh, the college football playoff has started. Um, and today we're going to talk about should there be a college football expansion to maybe six, eight, or even ten teams or should they keep it at four? So I'm, I'm excited to see what my fellow co-hosts, Simon and, and Cody, think about this. So we'll get into that. But first, I do want to put out there that we got two college football newses that are good to know is in June 1st, uh, they're going to start to move. The NCAA is going to start to reopen things and move back towards, towards getting stuff ready for not just football, but all NCAA in general. So that's good news that sports is coming back. And second on the college football, you know, playing field, Tua Tagovailoa's younger brother has actually transferred out of Alabama. He's going to Maryland. I can't exactly say his name, Simon. I'm, I'm deferring to you. It's Talia. Just Talia. Talia? His name is pronounced Talia Tagovailoa. All right. Talia Tagovailoa. He is going from Alabama, transferring to, to Maryland. So um, we'll see how that plays out. But anyways, that's the, the big headlines from college football. 
and college sports in general. But now let's jump into this college football controversy. So uh, what are you guys' first thoughts and first take on, on the college football playoff being expanded or staying the same? So uh, I definitely think that I think since the beginning that it's needed to be expanded, you know, um, I definitely don't, I'm not the only person that feels that way, but you know, heading into, for those who don't remember to end the season, it was LSU, OSU, Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, and Oregon were the top six teams in the nation. So obviously if you go with six teams, you have, you know, you have, two teams that get a buy or one team that gets a buy i think actually no no no. two teams that get a buy i'm tripping but you get two teams to get a buy four teams that play each other and then two advance and then you know you get another week of college football and you know a lot of it comes down to are they willing to expand and you know another thing that i think that you could do with expanding the the playoff is you know, allow the winners of conferences to be represented. And, you know, this may come with some controversy because it's like, well, we were ranked ahead of whoever won the Pac-12, but I think that it would benefit the conferences more if if the winner of each conference, at least in the Power Five, were allowed to be ranked and then the next highest one. You understand what I'm saying, y'all? Yeah, no, I definitely, it's, it's basically like you would do for March Madness where, um, every every division, or I wouldn't say division, every conference champion gets the the automatic bid to make the the big dance of the March Madness tournament. So I definitely could see some that um, something along those lines. Definitely for at least the Power Five teams, I think. Um, I, I think, think that would be a very good thing. Power Power Five winners I, get in no matter what. Yeah. So, and I think that an easy way you can do that is where you have the Power Fives, right? Where they all get to play at home. And then you make it like a 10 team bracket, right? And then you have, you could have like two teams have a bye week or something like that, that have home field throughout the whole thing. But then the other power five teams get home field against whoever, from there you go by rankings. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you'd have your, your top five, well not top five technically, but like your five winners make it and then you get the five next best teams. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, in this instance, you would have Oregon there, you know, in the, at least as far as last year goes, you'd have Oregon in the college football playoff. But then you'd also have, you know, Wisconsin and Baylor, who were both really good teams that lost out because they lost in their conference championship. But they'd still have a chance to fight to win it all, you know. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can think of, of with that being an issue is, again, the – you know, a lot of people still say this and obviously they have the New Year's Six Bowls at the moment and everything like that. But they're going to say like, oh, well, the mid-major teams, like, for example, when I say mid-major being like the Mountain West, or the American, I mean, you can get down to the Sun Belt and stuff like that. Those aren't really, those are just kind of bottom of the barrel guys. But those mid-major teams aren't going to get their chance really still to make it even with a 10-team 10, 10, uh, bracket. I mean, so that's, that's something that someone will bring up. Uh, I think a, a great you know a thing you could do for that is let's say you do have your six six teams go in you have the five power five winners and then that sixth team is the best mid-major team left where i think this year it probably would have been boise state so give boise state a chance to get in there and see if they can do anything so i think that could that could definitely be a 
a thing that people would look at and I think it could be good. It looks like the major representation. The best one this year was Memphis at 17. They're okay, mid-major. So Memphis aren't they? would make it. Yeah, so th- then you'd have Memphis in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm it's just, honest, I think. It's, oh, go ahead. It's a good cash flow for the, for these teams that, I mean, you know, the Pac 12 doesn't get money when none of their teams are in the college football playoff. I mean, you know, they're playing in like bowl games, but it's not the same revenue or coverage as the playoffs. So it, it almost creates more of an equal playing field for conferences that don't get as much exposure as the SEC just because of how many teams they put into playoff positions, you know? Mm-hmm. Plus, on top of that, I think, I think the Memphis-Oregon game would probably be a pretty good game. Obviously, that's not what would happen. Memphis would end up playing LSU probably. I guess LSU would have a bye or something like that. So who is the third ranked team? They'd play uh, Ohio Clint. State and they'd probably die, but yeah, but, but like if they got pitted against, you know, Oregon, I think it could be a decent game. Memphis and Oregon would have been a decent game. So I wouldn't write off the mid majors. And yeah, I definitely think the even playing field is is definitely something to look at. So go ahead and Simon, we have, we kinda cut you out for a second. So go ahead, Simon, <laughs> what are your thoughts? No, you're all good. I agree with y'all. Honestly, I don't care how they expand the playoffs. I just want more meaningful football. <laughs> we all know, we all know that like, you know, college football could get a little, you know, a little ridiculous sometimes. I think the way the best way to go about this is, you know, cutting out some of the games like early on, especially like all those uh, here, how, how should I say it? Those tune-up games that teams have against some really trash teams. Or like, you know, those times that Alabama plays a team that's barely D1. I think you could cut those some of those out and then have more playoff games. And those are games that are for sure going to sell out. You're going to have a ton of people trying to get in. And you know, those are going to be, honestly, quality games all around. And you, know, you really can't go wrong with that because I'm almost positive that those type of meaningful games make more money than a game where you know some big time squad beats down on an fcs an fcs type of school you know that's a that's a good logistical solution to you know the the games issue because i mean we've we've talked about like the workload of student athletes before you know and that would be a concern but that's a great suggestion you know what why does unc have to start off the season against washington state there's no reason for that you know what I'm saying? Yeah, another great what? another great example would be Alabama versus Chattanooga last year. Like, <laughs> no one cares about that game. <laughs> I, I I also have a follow-up question for you guys. Did either of you watch the Rose Bowl this year? Yeah, that's, that's a great example, too. I was even thinking, is like, since, since the playoff has been put into place these last, what, is it five years now? Something like that, four or five years? Four or five years, years yeah it's kind of put a damper on the other big quote unquote new year's six bowls. Like I'm going to be honest. I don't really care about the peach bowl. If it's not a, a, a playoff game. Um, and the same with the orange bowl. Like if the orange bowl is not a playoff game, I don't really care about it. So, I mean like you could just make all of those big new year's six bowl bowls, like playoff games, and then they would actually matter. So I think I definitely, is that what you're getting at with the Rose bowl? Yeah. That's you. You read my mind, Jesse. Cause it's like it, what, well, Okay, cool. Oregon played Wisconsin, right? Like that should be a big deal, but like I didn't care about it. I'd say even half as much as I cared about the playoff games. But do you remember when the Rose Bowl was in the playoff 
I think it was Oregon versus Ohio State, Oregon, I think. Florida and State, it was the Oregon, national Florida championship. Florida State, Florida State. Florida, Florida State? That's what it was a few years ago in the playoff? <laughs> yeah. Was. yeah. I remember that one fondly. Yeah, it's a big deal when it's in the playoff. And if you expand the playoffs, you're going to have all the big bowl games in the playoff. And I think that ratings would freaking skyrocket. Yeah, and no doubt. I mean... Sorry, were you not done? Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, and it's and it's exactly what college football needs to recover from the losses that the NCAA has experienced with this pandemic. I think it's a must. No, I totally agree. I think that's a that's a great idea. You know, I mean, honestly, you really can't go wrong with expanding, you know, the the playoffs. Just make sure you adjust the regular season accordingly, because no. No college athlete's going to want to play that long of a season that basically at that point it comes pretty close to an NFL season, which, you know, it is what it is. But honestly, I think it would be better if you have your athletes, you know, pretty much ready, right? Fresh for the most part and playing in meaningful games because, because uh, you know, honestly, there are a lot of stars that kind of get overlooked if they're not in a playoff game sometimes. And, you know, that kind of hurts their draft stock and, you know, from the NFL standpoint, it helps them because they get to see some of the best in college football go against, you know, guys who are quality because I'm just going to say it. You know, there are some teams like Clemson, you know, that don't play quality teams. And you kind of wonder, like, how good is this type of person, really? And it's really rare that you see somebody just perform out of their mind against actual quality, you know, Players like we saw that with Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa, obviously this last year. But you know the chances of that happening ever before is it's pretty rare, you know. And you know, if we look back at past years, you know, we if this was a expanded playoffs, we probably have seen Saquon Barkley in the college playoffs for once, and that would have been really fun to watch, honestly. Yep, I just want to I just want to put this out there so everyone knows. Obviously, when we talk about the Rose Bowl not being in it this year. Um, it's going to be, uh, if they stay with four, it's going to be in the playoff next year. They have, uh, have it on a rotating schedule through the six. Um, so at like, some point, it could be the Peach Bowl and the Rose Bowl. So they're definitely not not taken out. They're just on a rotation at the moment. But um, I think, yeah, I think you just need to make all six six playoff games, and that's, that's what you need to do. Well, and it kind of messes with, like, what it means. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, because the Rose Bowl is supposed to be Pac-12 and and Big Ten, you know? Yeah. So, and, and it's not that every, every year. I mean, you guys brought it up, Florida State, they're not Pac-12 or Big Ten. You know, they're ACC, or there's yeah. an AAC. Yeah, there's no, an it's ACC. ACC. Okay. ACC. I'm tripping. Yeah. Sorry, I was like, Arapahoe Community College, that doesn't sound right. But yeah, <laughs> you know, like, and, and that's, it's not the same, you know? It doesn't, like, there's a history to these bowl games, especially the Rose Bowl, and when you just when you just rotate it in, it, it doesn't mean the same thing. You know, when I think of Rose Bowl, I think of Texas and and USC. You know, damn sure. the long, damn the Longhorns, but that's that was a great game. You know, and that's what the Rose Bowl was when I was growing up. You know, that's my memories of the Rose Bowl, and it's just it's not the same anymore. So, yeah, and if you have if you have every New Year's Six um, game or bowl bowl game be a playoff game and all power five gets in obviously every year you're gonna have that rose bowl that rose bowl 
Power Five, you know, playoff game is going to be the Big Ten versus the Pac-12 because then you can keep those blood bloodlines alive and have it a playoff game. So I think that that's that's just you know a plus and an obvious move. Pretty much. So I, this is a question I have for y'all, but what are some realistic you know challenges that you know the NCAA or some colleges might face with either an expanded playoffs or you know less regular season and, and expanded playoffs? I could go first if you want me to yeah, do ahead. that. All right, I'll go for it. So one of the things, one of the arguments I've heard a lot is that if you expand the playoffs, like right now, then it kind of just gives you know, the NCAA an, ex- an excuse to continue to expand the playoffs until it's very, you know, watered down pretty much. And I think that's a really stupid argument, but it's still an argument because it makes sense because you know, what, what about the team that – finishes just outside of the rankings or you know probably could have made it in might might have been a little bit of a more fun team to watch but you know they didn't have that strength of conference and that that's definitely an issue that a lot of teams will have and it could cause maybe even more problems because you're leaving out even more well maybe not even more teams but you're still leaving out a solid amount of teams and you know college fans are college fans they're wild so they're gonna get hurt about it and you know they're gonna complain and whatnot and i'm not gonna lie if texas finished just outside of those rankings and it was expanded i would probably complain but you know it is what it is so that's that's just one of the issues that come to mind like that, that being an issue like what if that happens and then they continue to expand the playoffs until it's just extremely like utter down, you know? Well, I think that luckily the playoffs, I don't think that the college football playoffs at its max capacity can go past 16 teams, you know? No, no. I think that is, that's the ceiling for it just because of, you know, how the rankings work and how the tournament would work and how long it would take, you know? So it can't go past the top 16 teams and well we're already hearing about it from teams you know like i mean it, it's just you see i mean a couple of years ago washington made it in you know and bama ran away with it and everyone was upset they're like why the heck was a pac-12 team in there you know why why was washington there so people are always going to complain about it and people are just gonna have to continue to suck it up I guess, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's just think, one of those things. I think that brings up a good point, though, to answer Simon's question about what challenges the NCAA is going to see. I think if you make it a little bit of a bigger field, so like, let's just say it goes to 12 teams um, and you do have representation of some of those mid-major teams, you have to be able to, the committee has to be able to figure out how they're going to best match up teams because you can't just put the number 10 team against the number three seed every year because it's just not going to be a fun game to watch. You're going to turn into unfortunately sorry cody you're going to turn into an lsu oklahoma game all every year <laughs> in the playoff you know like it's just not gonna be, like obviously it was fun to watch yes there was tons of scoring but it, it wasn't, wasn't fun to watch <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i think that's a challenge that they're gonna have to address is you're gonna have to figure it out where maybe i mean it could it could do something like this maybe you could have a power five side of the bracket and a mid-major side of the bracket and then have the power five play a mid-major or something like that maybe just to get it a little more even but i think that's a big challenge that they'll have to to address is properly seeding and playing um in this playoff to make it make it fun to watch and fair 
mean, I definitely see your point of view on seeding, but then like, you know, and, and I think that's one thing that works in favor of college football is that they have a lot of power in the committee to just kind of like move teams where they want to move them, you know? So they could have, they could take mid major teams like conference win, you know, against the 24th seed, you know, 24th ranked team and just say, yeah, this was a pretty quality win and just bump up, up like three spots to seven or six, honestly. And then that way they face somebody that's a bit more of their caliber. But on the flip side of that, if a mid-major team is like the 10th seed, right? How insane would it be to see an upset of a three seed? Like, cause it, it can happen. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I don't know why this is the, well, okay. I know why this is the first scenario that comes to mind, but I think it would be kind of lit for some reason, SMU and Texas were now in the playoffs and they somehow got to face each other. And hey, SMU pulls off that dub and oh, who knows? No, Texas football as it is might, okay, maybe not Texas football, like Longhorn football, but Texas football as in the entire state, you know, it, it gets amplified, more fans get into it because I'm just going to be honest, college football in Texas has been pretty trash uh, the last much since Vince Young, uh, you know, won that national championship. Well, okay, I, I mean, yeah, there's Johnny Manzo too, but like, you know, let's let's be real. He didn't really have a chance to win anything major like that, but that definitely could have been a scenario too with college football playoffs is around, you know, seeing some of some teams in, you know, in-state play against each other that wouldn't have had the opportunity otherwise. And I, I think that's just a really good, you know, business move altogether. You can never go wrong with that. Well, and I think another another angle that you can look at it from the business perspective is you can go ahead and slap more bowl games into the college football playoff. And, you know, you go to those sponsors of those games, you know, and you're like, hey, uh, this is a playoff game now. You're going to have to pay us more money. That I mean, that's why they have to rotate some of them, you know. And, you know, if you get like a Tostitos bowl in there, like, oh, my God. You make Tostitos happy one year, and then it's like, okay, look at the revenue that that brought in. You're gonna have to pay us more. Yeah. Um, did y'all have any other issues y'all had with expanding the playoffs that potentially see, or I had one more? Yeah, what's ahead. What's your what's issue? The last one. <laughs> what's the problem, Simon? So we did talk about shortening the season regular season that is for the playoffs and you know i know i'm the one who brought this up but i really couldn't help but think about our alma mater unc you know what what happens if the season shortens and they're like well you know can we really afford to play some of these games against lesser competition which might even hurt our seating you know and i'd see some teams like unc that kind of need you know those games because don't they don't smaller teams get paid by bigger teams to play them Yes. Yeah, so that could definitely hurt, you know, FCS schools, stuff like that, and the development of those programs and whatnot. And it definitely hurt, you know, the fi- the money aspect, well, obviously, of uh, of, all of, of, uh, of FCS schools and smaller schools like that. Well, Very true. Jesse, you and I, <laughs> we've, we've literally studied this, and Simon literally like five programs in the whole nation run a net positive collegiate sport budget 
things. So like, that might the, even... the, they're all in debt anyway, is basically what I'm saying, <laughs> like. Oh yeah, that's fair. But you know, is the level of in debt a lot of these teams are would taking away some of these bigger games significantly hurt you know, these teams and possibly move some of these teams towards getting shut down i know a couple years ago we did see the uab program getting shut down i don't know if it was for the same reasons or what but that's, and that was like a division one score too like not yeah, even they're talking back now, D2. they're back now yeah they're back now you know obviously they're back now but they're definitely closed for a reason Cody, cool. to yeah. your point, because of the pandemic, half of that might that might even be cut in half now. Maybe you only have like Texas A&M and Alabama bringing in money. But it might it know. might even be zero. I mean, yeah. I mean, have yeah. you guys seen how many programs have been cut? It's insane. Yeah, but I, I mean, I have not. But I revenue is. I mean, it's it's up to the NCAA to maybe increase revenue sharing. I mean, that's part of the disparity in competition anyway is just how much more money these particular schools have because of x y and z you know and the just trying leveling the playing field has been a problem in the ncaa for shoot as long as i can remember honestly and since we said so in the era that we've grown up where colleges have just gotten bigger and more extravagant and luxurious you know maybe instead of a school having a hundred thousand dollar water fountain like fountain you know in the middle of their grass that looks cool and gets people to come there maybe that hundred thousand dollars goes to an fcs school you know like i don't see a big deal in that necessarily maybe but that's that's like a you're asking that that hard-hitting question because that goes beyond even expansion of the college football playoff like <laughs> It's not good for collegiate sports anywhere. Donors, if you're a donor, in general, if you're a donor listening to this, you are the most important person to whatever college program you're donating to because they do not bring in revenue. They don't. They do not bring it in themselves. Yep. Yep. True. Oh. Yeah. Anyways, Cody, do you have any? Do you have any questions here? I really don't. I mean, all right. Well, I guess then we can wrap wrap up this segment with this question. Um, I was going to go through each of us, starting with Simon. Give me your ideal uh, playoff college football playoff count and why. I count so like number of teams in. Yes, yeah, so like number of teams in in the playoff. How it would work and why. Oh, okay. Well, I I don't know about the logistical aspect. <laughs> Like seating and whatnot, I would probably have to say here. Let me work in reverse. I would have to say I like the idea of having, you know, divisional winners from the Power Fives, right? And yes, yeah, I'm. I'll go with eight right now. And I guess having the three next best teams isn't a bad thing. I think realistically, that's the move to make next. Expanding to six would be a little weird. I feel. I think it would still feel a little small, but going to eight is just right because I think that gives you the opportunity to have you know, all the division winners who, in my opinion, deserve to be there because they won, the, or sorry, conference winners because they won the conference, you know? And I, I think it takes out some bias too as well by having conference winners in there. And you know, the next three best teams, I mean, it's not 
not going to be an easy thing to pick out, but it's not going to be as hard as picking just four teams right now. So I think that's a natural next step for the college football playoffs going to eight. All right. That oh. sounds good. Cody? I, I like the sound of that, but I'm going to follow up and I'm going to say that I think the perfect fit is 10 because I think that allows you to have your power five teams, all of them be there. And then Jesse, I really, really liked your idea of a mid-major school getting in there and, you know, put them at, put them at a six seed, you know, cause that's gonna, cause they won their conference, right? So even though Memphis, you know, a lot, it would upset a lot of people, but if that's just kind of the way it is, it would become numb over time. I think, you know, where you have Memphis as the six seed, then you're gonna match them up against, you know, you have the, the top two teams would have a bye. And then you'd match them up against someone close, like a seven or an eight. And that's a better matchup than, you know, putting them against the third best team in the nation. I think that solves a little bit of like the standings gap you were talking about. And I think that having a bye week as an incentive to perform well in the regular season, make sure that the top 10 stays competitive, you know, because a lot, a lot of the heat is that only four teams get in now. So it's super competitive down the stretch the whole time. Versus, you know, if a bunch of teams, like if eight teams got in and there was no buy, then there's no incentive to stay at number one when you can get in at number eight. So I think that solves a lot of those middling issues. Mm -hmm. All right. And I I think I'm going to agree with Cody on my perfect fit of of 10 teams. I think 10 teams is going to be what you're looking at. And you can really just take all the arguments. I mean, that's only going to be one extra game for college players. Um whether you're on the top or the bottom, um, maybe with the exception of if you're the 10 seed and you make it to the, to the championship, you might have to play, uh, play two more games. But again, we addressed that with maybe taking out uh, a game or two in the regular season. But I definitely think that 10 teams would be great with the, the number one seed and the number two seed both getting buys. Um, again, that keeps it competitive in the top. And then I do think all power five conference winners should get in as well as the best mid-major team as well and then that gives you the option of having five then the next five best teams te- uh, getting in there and for example this year it would have been georgia baylor oregon um i don't know i don't have the top of my head um I'm maybe notre pretty, dame something like that um, i'm pretty sure wisconsin would, just, would have got in wisconsin yeah. yeah so i think that that's good and plus i know like cody said having that mid-major team in there is going to make it exciting because I mean, I think I think Memphis could have beaten some of these higher teams. Uh, another great team that I just thought of would have would have made it in. It, it might have been Memphis, or sorry, not Memphis, um, Minnesota, and that would have been fun to see Minnesota play in there because I think they could have beaten a few of the teams that that would have gotten in in the top ten. So having a, a Minnesota and a Memphis in there, I think, just adds more excitement to the playoff. So I think having ten teams, um, you have again, you have your your five best teams, a mid major, your mid, best mid major team, and then I guess that's four for the four next best teams. Um, I think that's the way to go. And it not only brings excitement, but also, you know, it's, it's competitive throughout. And I think, yeah, it's it's the way to the way to go for uh, the college football playoff. Hey, I like it. Like I said, I don't really care. I just want college football playoffs expanded. The more teams, well, maybe not the more teams, the better. But at this point, the more teams, the better. Yeah. All in all, we can all agree that there needs to be more than four. Yeah, you, you guys, have, <laughs> you guys really got me into college football this past year. And now I just want more of it. So just in time for you know me to be freaked out about it coming back. It's coming back, guys. 
Oh, it is indeed coming back. But, anyways, uh, any last words on the college football playoff? I mean, not really. I'd love, I'd love to say boomer sooner, but you really hurt my feelings there, Jesse. You, attack, you attacked my character there. Sorry. I mean, they got <laughs> smacked, so. Yeah, it really did happen. They I just, don't deserve it. Every time but, I every time I try and forget, I'm just reminded. Hey, yep. You know a team that didn't get blown out completely by LSU? Texas. The same team that lost to the Sooners? Oh, we didn't get blown out on national television either, though. Yeah, I will give I will give the benefit of the doubt to Cody and the fact that, that was only like what second or third game of the season, so they were still getting going, but okay, okay. That's fair. <laughs> Oh, I'll let it slide, but hey, no, Hulkin, we're going to win the Big 12. You know, have a good shot at it again. (laughs) See, We'll see. But anyway, so that that wraps it up for this uh, segment of the college football playoff expansion ideas. Um, They're great ideas, and stay tuned because coming up next, we're going to have some fun and uh, finish drafting the defense for our fantasy fictional football drafts. Uh, Stay tuned for that. It's the defense this time, so let's see. See how nasty Simon can make his team. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Cycle 365. This is episode 33, and we are continuing our fantasy fictional football draft. We're back on the defensive side of the ball, and then after this, we're we're gonna pick our coaches from whatever is left. So Jesse, I think you are on the clock. All right. So the Comet Commanders with the first pick, and would this be the second round, or just want to say defensive draft? Just say defensive draft. All right. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> so with the first pick in the defensive draft for the fic- fantasy fictional football league, I guess that's what it is. Um, the Comet Commanders take safety Doctor Strange. This dude is, I mean, he's not going to be the, uh, he's not the physical specimen that we're looking for, but he has great, you know, ability to look into the future, sh- you know, sh- shape time and, and just really get into the other dimensions of the world. And we looked at getting guys like this to um, counter the likes of um, Doctor Fate on the offensive side and just those other players that can you know, morph time. And it'll just be a a battle of the mystical arts between this, this player, Dr. Strange, who will be on the comic commanders, uh, their defensive, you know, backfield and whoever else goes against them. So uh, Dr. Strange safety to the comic commanders. Great pick. I, I, he definitely fell out of the first round, but yes, he really did. All right. With a second overall pick, in the defensive fantasy fictional football draft, the Winterfell Star Killers select General Zod from Krypton. He's a guy who is one of the biggest rivals to Superman himself. You know what we're doing? We're taking him off the board. So <laughs> they have somebody who could potentially be a quarterback spy. Now we have somebody with all of the potential powers of Superman. He has arguably way more experience than him, actually. You know, he's... He's, uh, he definitely has a mean streak to him. He's a little destructive, which is what you le- need a middle linebacker. 
but obviously he's a general so he's been a leader before and he knows what it takes to lead a group of people and so we have the all-powerful general zod at middle linebacker to the winterfell star killer good pick good pick with the third pick in the fantasy fictional football league defensive draft the titan moons will select at strong safety dark side now dark side this is a guy who can move just as fast if not faster than superman he can manipulate time and He's actually able to manipulate how big he is. So he could grow as big as 50 feet if he wants to just swat the ball out of the sky. And his Omega Beams are able to travel faster than the speed of light and will easily pop the ball out of the sky and not allow defenders, not allow opposing quarterbacks to pass the ball. He's also great inside the box if we want to move him in and blitz because he moves faster than the naked eye could even see. That's the third pick of the defensive draft. Dark side, strong safety for the Titan Moons. With the fourth pick in the defensive draft, the Titan Moons will select at inside linebacker Shazam. Now, he's going to play exactly like his name says he's going to play. He's going to hit you and Shazam, you're going to be knocked over. This is a guy who's being drafted because he can move faster than the Flash, and he's exactly what we need to counter the Comet Commander's star running back. Shazam has also been amongst the likes of Superman in strength. So we got a, we got a guy who can do everything. Now, he is a bit immature and he's a bit young to be playing in this league, but I believe that he will do just fine with the physical attributes that he has. Also with the knowledge gifted to him by the Greek gods, he can know anything that he needs to know. So if he just needs to know your play, he'll just know it. Really was right. gonna take Shazam though. Not gonna lie. I know you. I I know you were. <laughs> I was trying to get that two middle linebacker. Right, now I gotta get the fifth overall pick in the fantasy fictional football draft. The Winifro Star Killers select outside linebacker Venom from uh, the Marvel universe. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yes. So this guy, he was basically the opposite of Spider-Man. Somebody who has a very nasty side to him. Now, much like General Azad, he's someone who's not afraid to, you know, cause some chaos in the backfield. And chaos is what we need. And, you know, the Winfro Star Killers keep up their villain streak right here. Pick another guy who could be a beast off the edge in this 3-4 defense. The Winfro Star Killer. And with the sixth pick in the defensive fantasy football draft, the Comet Commanders select middle linebacker Megatron. Now, this guy, again, is the rival to the Comet Commander's tight end, Optimus Prime. Um, going off of what Simon just said for the uh, Winterfell Starkillers, um, this guy is nasty. He, uh, everyone hates him. I should, I should say he's a Transformer. He can fly, so we got our flight game going, and um, I think Megatron will be great at leading a nasty defense against uh, the offenses in this league. Good thing. And then with the seventh pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, the Comet Commander select defensive end Wolverine from the Marvel Universe. This guy is indestructible, really. Um, he he runs faster than than anyone, really. He's, he's, he's a, a great speed guy, speed rusher off the edge. And 
he will cause a lot of havoc. Um, I know it's uh, always he's always pitted against Hulk, so I think that it'll be a great battle between the Wolverine and Hulk. So defensive end Wolverine to the Comet Commanders. With the eighth overall pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, the Winterfell Star Killers select outside linebacker She Hulk. So we're not gonna go with all villains <laughs> as previously you know uh thought of. Gotta have some character on the squad. And she Hulk, she is somebody who is definitely a power rusher, somebody who can be comparable to the Hulk at times. Honestly, maybe a little bit faster, definitely leaner. You know what? Is gonna be the first female defensive player taken off the board. Somebody who could probably she's probably somebody you could kick inside as a defensive lineman or kick inside as a middle linebacker either way we're taking her at outside linebacker she's somebody who is extremely versatile and could be a big weapon for the winterfell star killers all right with the ninth pick of the defensive draft the titan moon select outside linebacker rogue now, Rogue, she's not only going to play outside linebacker, she can play stand-up end, she she can be a nickel corner. She's really going to be a utility for us because whoever she touches, she gains the ability of, of that hero. And with everyone that we already have on our defense, we basically get a second one of any of them. And she already has the same powers as Captain Marvel. So she's already super strong and super fast. And she'll look to wreak havoc and should be a potential Defensive Player of the Year candidate coming off the Titan Moons. With the 10th pick, the Titan Moons will take at defensive end, Donkey Kong. Now, this guy, he loves to use his hands, so they're looking for him to get a lot of swatted passes at the line of scrimmage, and he's incredibly strong. I mean... If you've ever seen his off-season workouts, he loves to throw barrels just repeatedly down multiple stories of buildings, and he's really durable. He's been shot out of a, a volcano into outer space before, and we're not worried about this guy getting hurt, but opponents should be worried about him hurting them. So with the 10th pick, Donkey Kong at defensive end. With the 11th overall pick, a fantasy fictional football draft, the Winifred Star Killers select Defensive back, Gene Gray, out of uh, the X-Men Academy. I'm pretty sure the X-Men Academy, right? So, yeah, Jean Gray. She is arguably one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel Universe. You know, she, she, she's a problem, to say the least. She's definitely a problem. She has both telepathy and telekinesis, which makes her somebody who could cover basically the entire field. And so we put her at DB because we could potentially play her at safety, free safety corner maybe even put her down in the box if needed but she's somebody who's an enforcer uh on all levels honest and welcome on the winterfell star killers all right and with the 12th pick in the fantasy fictional football draft the comic commanders will continue the um taking of women in this draft uh, they will take safety wonder woman out of dc she is a she is a leader for sure and she she packs a big punch um which is exactly what you need as a, a strong safety in this league um she has a whip of destiny basically that can choke anyone he, she wants to so if someone's getting away from her just whip that thing out there and bring them right back in 
Um, Chelsea has superhuman strength and um, will just be a great strong safety to have on this team that that's looking to punish running backs and you know tight ends or receivers coming across the middle. So Wonder Woman, safety to the Comet Commanders. And with the 13th pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, the Comet Commanders take cornerback Black Panther out of Marvel. Um, you know, this guy's a king. He, he, he fits the, the prototypical cornerback, you know, spot completely. He, uh, he, he's not afraid to get up in your face, and he's, he's a nasty type of guy that can really just, you know, pound opposing receivers. So Black Panther cornerback to the Comet Commanders. King. <laughs> I mean, he is though. God. <laughs> I didn't know if y'all were gonna bring it up or if I should, so I did it. I was thinking it, but I didn't say <laughs> King. Fourteen oh. overall pick in the fantasy fictional football draft. The Winifred Star Killers select cornerback Quicksilver out of Marvel. So, a lot of people like to disrespect this guy as a knockoff Flash. You know what? He's his own person. as super fast speed. You know, he's, he's a problem, you know? And he's somebody who can match up with the fastest of them in this league easily. Um, maybe he's a little raw, that could be said. But with uh, the right coaching, he's somebody who could be a great asset for the Winterfell Star Killer and potentially a lockdown number one cornerback in this league. With the 15th pick in the Fantasy Fictional Football League's defensive draft, the Titan Moons are going to continue the Nintendo streak for their team and select at defensive line, Kirby. Now, a lot of people write Kirby off because Kirby is below three feet in height, but don't be deceived by Kirby's little stature because Kirby swallows up gaps and the opposing running backs he can literally just eat an entire offensive line and still be ready to go. He's also super durable. He's been squished into an absolute 2D shape and has sprung back from it. So we're looking for reliability along this defensive line. So we are happy to draft Kirby at our defensive interior defensive line spot. With the 16th pick in this draft, the Titan Moons will select at free safety Green Lantern. Now, Green Lantern, he's definitely fallen a little bit because he can be a little bit brash and, you know, he he's a bit cocky, but he's the kind of attitude that we need on this defensive side of the ball. He plays with a lot of swag and, you know, with his ring, he's looking to swat down the pass and he can beat you in a variety of ways. You know, we can move him up in the box and he can just summon a brick wall for someone to run into. And, you know, he can just, he's gonna have a great time intercepting the ball from quarterbacks. And yeah, he's just gonna be a nice splash of attitude and swagger for this defensive side of the ball and is looking to maybe secure a Pro Bowl nod in his first year. At the 17th overall pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, Winifred Star Killers select middle linebacker Doctor Doom out of I want to say out of the Marvel uh, universe. 
So this is somebody who is definitely one of the main villains in this universe, but he has a nasty streak to him. He's extremely intelligent, which probably translates into great instincts, and he's somebody that the Winterfell Star Killers could definitely use to be a leader for all the villains, as well as be someone who's an intellectual enough to know where the ball is going in, in the game. All right. And with the 18th pick in the defensive fantasy fictional football draft, the Comet Commanders select defensive tackle Solomon Grundy out of DC. Um, when you're looking when you're looking at this board and seeing who fit best at defense tackle, there's no one better than Solomon Grundy. Um, this guy, he he doesn't really know a whole lot. He just fills holes. He's a hard-nosed guy, and he will put anyone down. He also has, uh, you know, the ability to once he gets knocked down to just be right back up before you even know he's um, he's he was down. So uh, Solomon Grundy will be a, a great addition to uh, bolster this. Comet Commander's defensive line, um, big guy that's going to make a big impact. So Solomon Grundy, defensive tackle, Comet Commander. With the 19th pick in the fictional fantasy football draft, the Comet Commanders select outside linebacker, Ultron. Now this guy, he uh, he is a villain and he is a villain of the Avengers. He fights the Avengers and gives the Avengers a lot of problems. Um, he's a very athletic dude and he's going to wreak a lot of havoc um he can cover well and rush the passer and if you can beat all of the avengers together you can really beat anyone in this league so um outside linebacker ultron to the comic commanders the 20th overall pick in the fantasy fictional football draft the winner for star killers select defensive tackle colossus out of marvel now here's another stand-up guy who may not fit you know the the culture of 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 the Winterfell Star Killer defense, you know, he's a stand-up guy, and so he's somebody that could help, you know, rein in the other guys and be an on-the-field leader. He's somebody who's extremely strong and could hold down that middle of a uh, of the defense, honestly. And you know, Loki, he's a steal. He's somebody who may have went, who could have went on the offensive side of the ball, but instead he's right here, uh, dropping to the Winterfell Star Killers on defense. Dang, that was my next pick, Simon. No, I had to to be careful with it. I'm kind of mad that I forgot about him. I should have taken him on the offensive line. Yeah, I know. I was, he was my next pick for defense. <laughs> See, I was thinking of him at the third or second overall pick, and I was like, no, nah, maybe I could wait on him. And so I did. No, I definitely, he was definitely on my radar. I just didn't, I, had, I didn't know when to take him. He was my next pick on the draft board, so. That's tough. Yep. I literally forgot all about him. Good pick is what we're trying to say. With the 21st pick in the Fantasy Fictional Football League draft on the defensive side of the ball, the Titan Moons select the Invisible Woman at cornerback. We're going to get a really athletic woman here who's, she can turn invisible. So the quarterback will think that the wide receiver is open and bam, there she is right there. She just appears and intercepts the ball and she could do it with her hands or with her force fields. You know, I'm also willing to send her on cornerback blitzes, and she also has very low-key telepathic powers, so she's going to be able to see what routes the wide receivers are running before they run them. And that's with the 21st pick. With the 22nd pick in this draft, the Titan Moons will select Genie at inside linebacker. Now, 
You've never had a friend quite like him, and we've never seen an inside linebacker quite like this guy. He can do basically anything, and he loves to progress the unity of his team. And, you know, our wishes as the Titan Moons is to have a dynasty that never loses, and Genie will help us achieve that goal at the inside linebacker position. He can be really big, and, you know, don't let his friendly demeanor throw you off. This guy is capable of insane things on the defensive side of the ball. With the 23rd overall pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, the wonderful star killers select Sandman out of New York City or the Marvel Universe. Now this guy, he's somebody who is another villain being the model or defensive players on the star killers. He's somebody who's very elusive because he's basically made out of sand. So you know what? Uh, I mean, he's, he's somebody who could easily get past blockers and will not and uh, come out of nowhere and sack the quarterback and he's he's insane you know he's 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 a whole he's he's a lot to handle is what i'm saying you know he's, he's somebody who could hold down that middle of the defense along with colossus and some of these other great defensive players so yeah sandman sandman to the winterfell star killers at 23 overall that anakin skywalker and him are gonna have a bunch of beef <laughs> Naturally. Naturally. <laughs> All right. And with the 24th pick in the defensive fantasy fictional football draft, the Comic Commander select cornerback Black Adam out of DC Comics. Um, this guy, he's he's going to be a great, great number two corner to uh, Comic Commander's defense. Great. So, um, yes, Black Adam, cornerback. <laughs> and with the 25th pick, in the fantasy fictional football draft, the Comet Commander select defensive end Drax, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy out of Guardians of the Galaxy Marvel Marvel Universe. Um, this guy, he, you know, he's kind of big teddy bear, and he's maybe not be the smartest one, but he uh, is going to bring up morale on the the whole defensive side of the ball, and just really the whole team, the Comet Commander's team in general. Um, but he also uh, he's relentless; he won't stop at anything to uh, to achieve the goal and that goal on this team is going to be sacking the quarterback so look for Drax to, to get a lot of quarterback sacks and um, you know just just hold down that that defensive end so defensive end Drax to the Comet Commanders. With the 26th overall pick a fantasy fictional football draft the Winterfell Star Killers select cornerback Sinestro out of the DC Universe. Hey you know can't go bad with more villains. All these guys just have more chemistry. That's all I could say. Somebody who's definitely comparable to the Green Lantern, you know, being his arch rival and all. And he's somebody who's a nasty cornerback too. You know what? He has a little bit of a Josh Norman side to him. You know, a little cocky here and there, but that's what you need in a cornerback. Someone who's confident, who's confident, not afraid to you know take some L's every now and then as he has. And yeah. You know, he's somebody who really has nothing to risk and is a very good one-on-one cornerback for the Winifred Star Killers. With the 27th pick of the defensive draft for the Fantasy Fictional Football League, the Titan Moons will select at cornerback Nightcrawler from X-Men Academy. You know, this guy, he's really going to get on opposing quarterbacks' nerves. He can literally just appear wherever he wants to be and that makes him a shutdown cornerback. You know, he may be a little reckless sometimes, but what he lacks in 
discipline he'll make up for in literally being able to teleport wherever the ball is. So, you know, Nightcrawler for the Titan Moons. At Nose Tackle for the Titan Moons, we are going to select out of the Pacific Ocean, Godzilla. Now, this guy is one of the best trash talkers in the game, and he instills fear into a lot of people. And he's big, and he's mean, and he's ready to go. With the 29th overall pick of Fantasy Fictional Football Draft, the Winifo Starkiller select at safety of the Marvel Universe, Deadpool. Well, this is somebody who, you know, he gets pretty annoying. You know, he's somebody who definitely talks some trash. He walks that line a lot. Most most of the time he crosses the line, but, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, you have a little bit of a wild card at free safety. He'll take his chances and whatnot. He's somebody who's extremely athletic and could hang with the best of them, honestly. And he's he's definitely a pest to be to be reckoned with, especially on the Winterfell Star Killers, where there's already a good number of villains on the squad. All right, and with the 30th pick in the fantasy fictional football draft, the Comet Commanders select outside linebacker Swamp Thing. Uh, now this guy, he's going to be a great pass rusher. Um, he will really get after the ball, and you know he's a great counter to to really anyone that that's thrown at him. He's going to rush the passer for this this team, and you know a lot of people don't want to touch him. He's pretty gross. So um, outside linebacker Swamp Thing to the Comet Commanders. <laughs> and with the 31st pick, the final pick for the Comet Commanders in this year's fantasy fictional football draft, the Comet Commanders are going to stick with their likable guys going as their last pick. They will take defensive tackle Wreck-It Ralph out of Disney. You know, this guy, he's always wrecking things, and that is exactly what, what you need on a defensive tackle. He needs to wreck things, wreck the interior, wreck anything the offense is doing. Um, this guy even at one point wrecked the whole internet. So, I mean, if he can wreck the internet, he can wreck a defense or an offense. So, wreck it, Ralph. Defensive tackle to the comic commanders with their last pick. He was on my board. I'm going to wreck it. It's his own defense. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> if he stopped the internet, he could stop a offensive line. That's fair. That's fair. That's <laughs> the final pick. The 32nd overall pick. A fantasy fictional football draft. The Winifo Star Killers select at defensive back a vision. Now, this is somebody who doesn't quite fit a vision for the Winifo Star Killers defense, but he's somebody who could fit in anywhere because he's extremely versatile and probably one of the more underrated powerful characters in the Marvel Universe. This is somebody who has great speed, agility, strength. And is extremely intelligent. He will be a problem back there, in either cornerback or safety for the Winterfell Star Killers. Someone who could potentially give them a lot more versatility on the defensive side of the ball. And with the final pick of the defensive round of the fantasy fictional football league's draft, the Titan Moons will select at slot corner Tracer. Now Tracer. Her, her famous saying is the Calvary's here and that's exactly how she's going to play as the slot corner. She can literally just zip around the field and basically just teleport wherever she's super fast. She's also super smart 
And we love her aggressiveness on the defensive side of the ball. And if she makes a mistake, well, she can just reverse time and try again and get it right the second time. So we love that second chance defense that she loves to play. And with that pick, that concludes all of the selections for the Fantasy Fictional Football League's draft. Coming up next, we react to the picks. And we pick our coaching staffs. back to the cycle 365 this is episode 33 and before we get into our draft reactions each of us have some announcements to make uh here i'll, I'll go first so we have selected and you know interviewed a bunch of different candidates so we finally have our coaching staff and plus our scouting department so <clears throat> at head coach we're going with bruce wayne aka batman you know, this guy's pretty comparable to Bill Belichick. He does his research on everybody, and he's really good at it, at finding other people's weaknesses and exposing them. Obviously, he has a great relationship with Superman. You know, Batman is definitely somebody who, you know, he, he wouldn't mind crossing the line a couple of times either. So he definitely has that relationship with some of the villains in the squad. OC, we have Master Chief. Uh, hey, look, this is somebody who, who's, a, who's a veteran. He's a soldier. You know, he's somebody who seems pretty old school and could definitely fit into the vision of the ultimate triple option offense that the Winterfell Star Killers hope to run. And you know, he's somebody who's a leader and is inspiring. The defensive side, we have probably the youngest guy be in this entire league, Light Yagami. He's only 18, but he's a genius. Famously, he had the death note. He basically got away with murder for many years, and it took basically another genius that he already killed. Spoiler alert, but another genius that he already killed to beat him many years later. And this guy, you know, he does his research as well. He's really hard to outwit, and he'll be a threat. And then as a scout for the Winterfell Star Killers, we have Qui Gon Jin. So he's somebody who basically discovered the Chosen One himself, and so we gonna rely on him to discover even more chosen ones and talent for the Winter the Winterfell Star Killers organization for the foreseeable future. As for right. the Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> As for the Titan Moons, we have done a very thorough search for our for a head coaching position and we have also followed the Rooney rule. You know, I'm not sure if these other organizations value representation as much as the Titan Moons do, but here are the Titan Moons. We appreciate the best candidate available, and that is why our head coach is Charles Xavier. You know, he's telepathic and telekinetic, and, you know, he knows exactly what to call and when to call it. As for our offensive coordinator, we are going to go with Vegeta, Prince of All Sands. You know, this guy is an alien, and he's conquered many planets and will continue to conquer as our offense conquers defenses in this fictional fantasy football league at defensive coordinator we're going to have obi-wan kenobi you know he's a master of the defensive style as far as lightsabers goes and you know he knows how to be patient and make his opponents make mistakes so we're going to count on him to allow our defense to capitalize on the offense's mistakes as much as possible 
And for our scouting department out of the Hercules universe, we're going to have the first female staff in our scouting department as we're going to have the three fates. You don't get one without the other two as they use a eyeball to see everything that they ever want to see. So they're going to find us elite talent for the many years to come. I like how Cody goes, we're following the Rooney rule, followed by Charles Xavier, whitest guy you know. <laughs> okay, but I have an Asian American at OC, and I have the three fates in the scouting department. I know, I just, I just thought it was didn't want to lead off. That. Yeah. Well, I have an Asian at defensive coordinator, what do you mean? What is Yoda, dude? <laughs> exactly. Justin probably has the more diverse... Go ahead, Jesse. Okay. <laughs> Coming to the Comet Commanders, um, looking at their coaching staff, we, uh, again, like like Cody and the Titan Music, we did a very thorough search for the best available coaches out there, and uh, we came up with head coach Yoda. Um, I know we have seen the other two uh, two Star Wars leaders go as coaches in this, in this league, uh, in Qui-Gon Jinn and... Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, but who, you know, who trained them and who teach, taught them to be who they were today, and that was Yoda. So Yoda is the master of the Star Wars universe. Um, he oversees everything, and he knows how to run everything in that universe. So he will have no problem coming in and running this offense. Well, this really this team in general, not just the offense, but the team in general for the Comet Commanders. At OC, we have Nick Fury. I mean, if your quarterback's going to be Captain America, you have to have an offensive coordinator that's going to work well with him, and that is Nick Fury. These two have been calling the shots for uh, for the Avengers since the beginning of time. So um, to have them paired together is going to be exactly what this offense needs. Um, when you have a quarterback and a coordinator on the same page, you can, you know, you don't even have to call plays. They just know what to do. Um, so Nick Fury is the offensive coordinator. And then just to bolster that, that relationship on the coaching staff, Defense coordinator Iron Man. When Nick Fury and um, quarterback Captain America are not making the calls for the Avengers, Iron Man is making the calls. Um, but we can see that it's more of a uh, a defensive mindset for for Iron Man um, and Tony Stark to be more uh, be more specific. So this guy, um, again, yeah, he he knows how to defend the planet Earth from really anything that's thrown at him. And um, so he'll be a great defensive coordinator for this Comet Commanders team. And then for the scouting department, Comet Commanders have hired Odin, the father of Thor and Loki. He saved Loki from, from death and Loki is on this team. So um, it's good to have a father-son combo here. Um, but Odin is the protector of the realms. Everything he, he sees oversees everything and makes sure everything is good. So he has seen everyone and everything. So he knows where this talent is going to come from and he will find that talent from from when they're babies so odin is the scouting uh department for the comic commanders with the coaching staffs announced we now react to each other's defensive drafts as well as the head coaching hirings for the fictional fantasy football league so with that being said simon what is your analysis of the other two teams in the league on their defensive draft and on their coaching hires? Uh, so I'll, I'll go with the coaching hires first. In my opinion, I think all the head coaching um, 
Pirates are pretty good. You know, you got some wiser, older veterans, I, wish, I should say, who could honestly lead a team. And so I like both of those, just to say the least. And then, yeah, I'll come back to the coordinators later. But so I'll start with the Comet Commanders. You know, I, I really like it. I think it's pretty well-rounded. You know, you got a, I would say, a solid mix between villains and heroes. You know, you don't have anybody that's, <laughs> or not many people that could, you know, cause a lot of undiscipline. So I think the balance is definitely there. You got athletes at every level, I want to say. Uh, weaknesses, I might have to say, possibly speed. I'm a little concerned, you know, how well maybe Wonder Woman or Black Panther could match up with some of the faster, like, universal uh, <laughs> heroes on the offensive side of the ball. I'm talking about, like, you know, the Flash, Silver Surfer, Sonic. So there, there, there's some concern there on uh, the speed side of things. I will just yeah. put this out there, Simon. The Flash is on our team, so don't have to worry about that. Well, I was just, I mean, just as an example, you know. Mm-hmm. What I meant. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, as well as, you know, some of the quarterbacks and running backs, like Superman, Goku. I basically just said my whole own backfield. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so for the Pride and Moons, oh, hey, I like it. You know, like I said, I think this is one that, that has a guy pretty much on every level. I don't think it will be a huge deal. You know, you got a lot of people who are pretty sneaky, I would say, and can be sneaky good and possibly underrated. There's a lot of underrated guys, girls on this squad. You know, I really like Shazam at middle linebacker. That was somebody who I really wanted and is kind of comparable to Superman in some ways and not. So, yeah, uh, in terms of weakness, I would Probably some weakness. I mean, really, the only one I have here is maybe Godzilla, just because you know he is he's a beast, no doubt about it. But you know, he has some control issues. I I would say you know maybe be that could definitely be controlled a little bit better. But you know, that's why you have Charles Xavier there, and you know, that's just one of those situations you got to see all the way through. Yeah. So uh, back to the coordinators, you know. Comic Commanders, I really like the hiring of Nick Fury at OC. Somebody who has experience working with multiple heroes. Something that, you know, maybe not a lot of people have that aren't already head coaches. You know, and so I think that's a great pick right there, Nick Fury. Uh, Iron Man, hey, hey, you know, he's a genius. He's a crafty guy. I like it. Odin, that's a good one as well. Honestly, I really don't have any problems with y'all's coaching staffs. If I got a nitpick, maybe it's the relationships some of these coaches might have with, with the people on their defense like i confident that obi-wan could have a great connection with dark side or donkey kong or or you know, nightcrawler or even godzilla not not exactly during the fact that he did end up killing his only students well you know basically yeah. killing his only students so that's it's definitely a concern other than that you know uh, i see a lot of positives a lot of great hires and diverse hires at that you really brought up the fact that Obi-Wan killed his only student, bruh. He did! That's that's why we didn't pick him. He didn't kill him. He couldn't do it. He was like a brother to him. I'm in his place. <laughs> um, Jesse, do you want to go next or me? Um, I'll go next. Alright, oh so we'll start with the Winterfell Star Killers and their coaching staff. I definitely think Batman is a great head coach. Uh, he's a great leader and... 
I know I was talking with one of my friends off the books that that we know someone in this league will take Batman as a head coach. And uh, so that was the Winterfell Star Killers. So that's a great pick. Um, again, Master Chief, offensive coordinator. Uh, he's, you know, he, he's been through a lot and he he's seen it all really. So he'll be able to counter any defense that's thrown at him. And then, how do you say it? Light, y- Light Yagami? Agami. Okay. Light Yagami. Don't know a ton about this dude, but I'm sure he'll be a great defensive coordinator. And then Qui-Gon Jinn, he did find the chosen one. I think the only thing I struggle with is he only found one chosen one that ended up to be evil and bad. So we'll see what happens with uh, with that. He might. I mean, it does fit the uh, the bill that the Winterfell Starkillers are going for with all of these, you know, villains on their team. So that could that could end up great for them. Um, and then for the Titan Moons coaching staff, obviously another one that we all knew was going to be a head coach in this league was Charles Xavier. Um, he is, you know, he he he's a leader among all leaders. So I think that that's a great, great head coaching hire. Um, hey, I just realized that he's diverse because there's no handicapped coach in the league. <laughs> that's ADA, baby. Uh, Anyways, okay, sure. I just I just realized that I can defend myself on that. <laughs> okay. Anyways, Sorry, the rest Jeff. of this coaching staff, yeah, I think they're gonna be great. Obviously. Obi-Wan, I, if I was going to put him down, I would think of him more as an offensive coordinator. I feel like he's calling more of the shots. Um, but I, I think he's going to be a great defense coordinator as well. Jumping into the, the teams here now, so let's look at the uh, Winterfell Star Killers. I think this is a very good team. Their defensive tackles in Colossus and Sandman are going to be a, a force to reckon with up front. And then their two middle linebackers. I can definitely see a 3-4 four, four lineup here that is going to cause a lot of problems for offenses i think the biggest weakness i could see for this team is at free safety deadpool i think could definitely be a problem for this team he i don't know he doesn't really follow directions very well and he kind of just is in la la land most of the time so good thing they have guys guys on this uh coach staff like batman to keep him in line because without direction besides maybe his girlfriend he's going to not really, you know, just be his own person and and cause cause havoc. And then for the Titan Moons, this is a very good draft. I definitely was going to take the likes of Donkey Kong um, and Godzilla on my team if they were not taken. So um, those are two great picks. It is Nintendo World has been very represented in this on this team. And again, while Kirby is going to be very small in stature, he can eat people, so we'll see what happens there. Luckily, he does poop them out, so we will still have a football team. But, <laughs> yeah, so that'll be great. I think my biggest weakness, I'm also going to pick on Godzilla like Simon did. While Godzilla is a monster, he literally is a monster. He, uh, I don't know if he can move very well, to be honest. Um, I know he doesn't need to move because he's giant, but I, don't, I feel like he's very, you know, he's a very... Vi- like I would re- relate him to Vince Wilfork from the Patriots a few years ago. He's just going to stand there and fill holes. He's not really going to do a lot, even though Vince Wilfork did get after the quarterback for his size. But that's the biggest weakness I see for this Titan Moons team is Godzilla is not going to be able to move very much. So I, I hear all of your guys' opinions, and now I'm going to respond with mine. So I'll go with the Winterfell Star Killers here. You know, 
at head coach Batman. He's been called the greatest planner of all time by the likes of even Brainiac, who's, you know, uh, probably has a future if there's an expansion team as a head coach, you know, and will work well with Superman, you know. They got a Justice League vibe that will definitely work. And, you know, that's just a great hire from a tactical standpoint, you know. And they continue to go with the tactical approach with the hiring of Master Chief at Offensive Coordinator, you know. I mean, that's a that's a great pick that shows a lot of respect to the armed forces, you know, of outer space with Master Chief. And I think that he's, you know, he's led lots of soldiers, so why can't he lead a offensive squad? Now, once again, like Jesse, I'm not as familiar with like Yagami or Yagami. Yeah, you got it the first time. Yagami. So, but I am familiar with with the body count that he has. So that intensity will translate great over to the defensive side of the ball. And I think that he's a guy that this defense will rally around. You know, they see eye to eye on a lot of things like genocide and tearing apart the offense. So, <laughs> sir. And then as a scout, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn, he's, he's definitely a little bit naive to character issues, but you know, he finds him young and he finds him talented. So, Pause. Okay, we're, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna redo that one. Quite okay. Jin, while he while he's a bit naive to character issues, you know, he know he has a knack for finding talent, and you know, he's a great negotiator as well. I mean, he was able to get the chosen one from another team, so we can see Qui Gon Jin talking to upper management and potentially even rolling into a GM position in the future. So, as for the Comet Commanders, you know, Yoda, I love this head coach hiring. He's guided many of the best minds in his respective universe. And, you know, I think that he's going to be a great fit. And I think that he'll be able to take the edge off of some of the other coaches on this coaching staff, such as Nick Fury, Iron Man, and Odin. You know, these guys can be a little uptight, but Yoda is very composed. And I think that that's going to translate great over to Nick Fury and Iron Man. Now, respectfully, Nick Fury is going to be a great offensive coordinator. Part part of the reason is what I just said. You know, he can be a little tense, and when Nick Fury flies off the handle, I can only expect great things because, tactically speaking, he has a great mind. And, you know, he once captained the Helicarrier, which was one of the best weapons in the world, and he hopes to weaponize this Comic Commander's offense as well just as efficiently. Iron Man, you know, we, we've talked about it before. Okay, his suit, he designed to protect him and get him out of a sticky situation. I think that he's gonna look at this defense a lot of the same way. Now, we know that him and Doctor Strange like to quip at each other, but at the end of the day, they're gonna work well with each other and Iron Man is going to lean on Doctor Strange to lead this defensive squad for the comic commanders and he's also going to trust strange to do so now odin don't let his one eye fool you he has an eye for seeing everything in the universe so he's definitely going to be able to find whoever he needs to and once again just a great coaching staff for the comic commanders now we'll look at the winterfell star killers here on the defensive side of the ball and the word nasty was used a lot and i agree that it matches this Winterfell Starkiller defense and 
you know, the stature that they're going to have in this league. I mean, if you just look at the amount of villains to heroes on this team, it's overwhelmingly a villainous team. But, you know, some of the best defenses of all time are revered villains in the NFL, such as the Legion of Boom, which we could see something like that with this team. You know, they have a lot of swag on this defensive side of the ball, and that translates well to wins and turnovers. I will say that I really like the She-Hulk signing off the edge. And, you know, Dr. Doom, he's somebody that I personally overlooked, but I know that he's going to do great in this league. I will say my biggest concern, while Deadpool doesn't exactly match the physical capabilities of a lot of people on this team, Jean Grey is also known to kind of fly off the handle and she may implode actually literally implode on this entire team wiping them out so and then they'd have to dig into free agency which we'll talk about here in a little bit now for the comic commanders i said it during the draft dr strange should have gone in the first round of the offense and so he'll play just fine on the defense i look forward to many battles between dr strange and dr fate on my tight moon team and i think that's going to make for some exciting football i will say that Probably the biggest weakness is here at defensive end with Drax. You know, he's a bit of a smaller guy. I mean, they went pretty small along the ends, you'd say, with Wolverine and Drax. But what Wolverine makes up in tenacity, I just think that Drax can't make up in strength. But he is going to give you his all. So you will never doubt his effort is one thing I will say about Drax. Okay. So, Jesse, who do you think could be potential defensive player of the year candidates from each team let's see um i'll start with this winterfell star killers you know i'm probably gonna have to go middle linebacker general zod i think he could uh, definitely be the defensive player of the year for this winterfell star killers team uh he was you know superman's nemesis and he he fought superman who is the quarterback of of the winterfell star hill uh star killers team but um, I think General Zod can have a monster year, both in coverage and in rushing. I mean, rushing the pass and um, just filling holes for the run game. So I think that General Zod is my pick for Winterfell Star Killers Defensive Player of the Year. And then for the Titan Moons, I think a very possible candidate the or Defensive Player candidate of the Year is, um, you know, probably. Rogue, outside linebacker. Um, like you said in the draft, he, she can just really take any power from anybody just on the touch. So, I mean, having that ability to change into anything is very vital and I think could definitely help her, you know, be the best defensive player in this draft. Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll respond with my defensive player of the years and then Simon, if it's okay with you, move on to you. But go for it. I'll go with the... Well, we'll look at the Comet Commanders here real quick. And I think that the obvious Defensive Player of the Year candidate here is Dr. Strange. I mean, he's a guy who can do it all and he can manipulate reality to whatever he wants it to be, basically. And, you know, he's kind of... He's basically the Dr. Fate of defenses. And, you know, that allows him to make all the plays that he needs to make and it makes a very strong candidate for a defensive player of the year. 
while on the Winterfell Star Killers, I do like the idea of Jean Grey stepping up and potentially winning Defensive Player of the Year as an absolute asset in the secondary. I can see her calling a lot of the shots that the quarterback might be calling, as well as just being really versatile on the defensive end and just making plays all over the field. So for I'll, I'll start with the Comet Commanders. Honestly, I would probably have to say Doctor Strange at safety as well. Just because, you know, he, to be honest, he's pretty much all-powerful. And even if he's not, oh, he could see pretty much every scenario and make it happen. And he'll just be a force on the defense. He, like Cody said, you know, he's he's basically the Doctor Fate on uh, the defensive side of the ball. So I really like Doctor Strange there. I mean, Adam's a pretty close second, I would say, but rare that cornerbacks rightfully get defensive player of the year. I'll say that. Uh, for the Titan Moons, um, I would have to say middle linebacker Shazam. And I, I'm saying this noting that I am very biased towards a middle linebackers because I played middle linebackers and oh I feel like he's somebody who could be a real leader on the field as well as making big plays because you could honestly just hang with the best of them and do everything you want him to do. So yeah, Shazam. All right, so that does it for our Defensive Player of the Year candidates. Simon, do you want to introduce the... All right, so the next question I have for y'all. Who is the most overrated draft pick on each of our three teams? So I, I could go first because, you know, I, I asked it. I think probably the most overrated draft pick would probably have to be Deadpool, and which isn't... I guess it's not the worst thing, you know. I, my concern with him, like y'all already said, is that he may not be able to hang with the best of them athletically. Oh, and he does kind of have some, uh, you know, some attitude issues that maybe even some of the villains, like General Zod or Doctor Doom, may not even be able to get through to. That's that's definitely a problem, I would say. For the Comet Commanders, I would probably have to say most overrated. Oh my gosh. This is tough because I don't. <laughs> there's a lot of likable on the squad. I'll be honest. I, honestly, I, I might have to say Wolverine at defensive end. You know, maybe, and it might just be because I haven't seen him go head to head with like some of the bigger offensive linemen that we drafted uh, last week, you know? or at least that I could remember him doing and being super successful at. Like he is a little undersized to play defensive end, but. Well, that might be more of the reason why he may be underrated as well. But I don't know. In my opinion, he's a little overrated, you know. We all know about how fierce he is, how tough he is. But, eh, you know, when it comes down to it in the trenches, it's just one of those things that I would have to see for myself. And for the Titan Moons, excuse me, the Titan Moons, I would say most overrated might have to be... Oh, <laughs> It might have to be Donkey Kong, if I'm being honest, or Kirby. I don't know. Like, I I question, question how physical they could be in the trenches. Maybe, and I know they, you know, they're pretty tough characters altogether, but we are pitting them against some of the strongest and nastiest offensive linemen in, in all of the fictional universes. And so it's just one of those things that 
So for me, I would need to see him go head to head to somebody just to feel better about him, honestly. But yeah. So Simon led off with two defensive linemen and a cornerback on the most overrated. Jesse, what are your thoughts on the most overrated player on each team? I'll start with my own team, the Comet Commanders. Um, I'd say the most overrated player on this this squad probably is Drax. We talked about him a little bit. I mean, he's not going to do anything special. The, the biggest thing he brings to the table is um, just heart and determination. And obviously that can definitely be a big part. But if you just don't have the physical tri- like the fig- physical traits of some of these players in this league, um, it's going to be tough to compete and, and stay on the level of, of these guys. Overrated player on this uh, Titans team is inside linebacker Genie. Um, I think while he is, you know, a good guy and everyone's gonna like him, I don't just don't know what physical traits he brings to this this team. So I think having Genie at middle linebacker is a question mark for me. But we will see what happens if he he, he performs. So um, that would be my most overrated player for the Titan Moons. And then for the Winterfield Star Killers. I think the most overrated player on this squad, probably again, I'll agree with with Simon and his own team, Deadpool. Um, I don't know. I just I think he lacks discipline, and we'll have to see if they can overcome that. So I think, yeah, Deadpool is my most overrated player on this Winterfell Star Killers team. Well, I'll just follow suit and pick up where you left off on the Winterfell Star Killers, and. While Deadpool, I feel like, is the obvious choice for most overrated, I'm going to go with defensive back, The Vision. Now, we've seen that in in the minors that The Vision just had a continuous downward slope where he just appeared to lose a step every year, and that's before he even got drafted. You know, I mean, he was just weaker in each installment of film that we had on him, and he just looked more lost, confused, and taken aback by some stronger opponents, you know, and... He, he even lost his ability to phase and, you know, he's lost uh, a part of him with the Mind Stone no longer being connected to him. So I'm not really sure what mental capacities we will see from the Vision going forward. I feel like he might even be a bust in this draft. Now, on the Comet Commanders, I'm going to have to echo Jesse's sentiment that Drax is the most overrated player now. He's a fan favorite. A lot of people like him. You know, he's he's definitely going to rally around and get this defense to rally around him, you know. He's going to be a great locker room presence, but I just don't know if he's a starter caliber player, uh, especially in this league. You know, he's pretty undersized and not as strong, so we'll see what happens. But either way, just a great locker room presence for the Comet Commanders, regardless of his position to start the season. Saving best for last on my own team, I will say that the most overrated player on my team might be... I'm going to go with Tracer. You know, Tracer's a bit of a wild card where she just may not take the game seriously enough. And she, she's been known to, you know, kind of joke around a bit too much, even in the face of imminent danger. So we'll try and rally in her discipline and get her to play sound defense. All right. So the next question I got for you guys, um, the most underrated players on each of our teams, 
Um, so I'll go ahead and start with my own team, the Comet Commanders. I think the most underrated player on this Comet Commander squad, I'm going to go with outside linebacker Ultron. Um, I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. Um, not a lot of people know who Ultron is, and I think I'm giving him the chance to, I mean, in this system, he'll primarily be a cover guy. So I think that he, he has the, the ability to do that very well. And I'm excited to see what Ultron brings to this this squad. Um, that is his, his, I mean, he has very, he has a nasty side to him. And I think that he can really take this team to the next level. Um, moving on to the Winterfell Star Killers, I think the most underrated player on this Winterfell Star Killers squad is defensive tackle Colossus. He fell quite a ways in, in the draft this year. And um, I think we all talked about how he could definitely have gone, obviously, in the offensive draft, but a lot lot sooner even in the defensive draft. So I think Colossus will be out to, you know, prove something and show show what he's about. So I think Colossus is a, a great underdog for uh, the Winterfell Star Killers. And finally, for the Titan Moons, I think the most underrated player on this Titan Moon squad is... I'm going to say Green Lantern. I think he, you know, he is always an overlooked, overlooked character that a lot of people, a lot of people think of when they think of, of, you know, powerful beings. And uh, like you said, he can do whatever he wants and, and make some crazy things just out of nowhere. So I think Green Lantern has something to prove. And I think he will prove it this year moving forward. All right, Jesse, thank you for your most underrated players. I'm going to go ahead and go next. I'm, I'll start with your team, Jesse, the Comet Commanders. I think that the most underrated player on your team is Wonder Woman. I think that Wonder Woman was another first-round talent who definitely could play along the likes of Superman on the offensive side of the ball. She's just as strong as him. But I think that she's going to be a great fit at safety. I mean, her gauntlets that she wears, you know, they can deflect bullets, so she'll end up deflecting a lot of passes. And her lasso of truth, you know, will help her, help her wrangle in a couple of interceptions. And I could see her having a really good year and being a first-team safety, for sure. As for the Winterfell Star Killers, I'm going to go with She-Hulk. You know, this is another first-round talent, arguably. She-Hulk, you know, she's more agile than her cousin Bruce Banner, you know, and she's arguably just as strong. And I think that her coming off the edge, you know, she could have a double-digit sack kind of year and be a solid contributor on the Winterfell Starkillers. I think that Dr. Doom is another highly underrated prospect who's going to surprise a lot of people and maybe even end up becoming the brains of this defense. I know that General Zod is the middle linebacker one as it stands, but Dr. Doom, you know, he's one of the smartest players we've probably ever seen. So we could see him potentially take over calling shots on that defensive side of the ball for the Starkillers. As for my own team, I'm going to say that the most underrated player is probably Kirby, you know, really easy to overlook and, you know, been questioned by uh, a couple of other analysts here in the league. But I think Kirby is going to play with a chip on his shoulder if he has one. And, you know, he's going to prove his worth by just swallowing up running backs and putting it to the offense. Hey. So, I'll start with your team, Cody. A player on your team that I think is probably the most underrated would have to be the Green Lantern. Um, look, I, 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 I don't know. This one's kind of hard too because I feel like everyone kind of respects like <laughs> his abilities and you know the Ring of the Lantern Corn and all that great stuff. 
but you know this you know you got some guys there that definitely you know that, that definitely overpower over it's the right word they, they cause they like cast a shadow yeah they cast a shadow on green lantern you know though he's not gonna be super flashy i would say but he'll clean up a lot of mistakes who do his job and he's someone who could honestly be a great fit on any defense or maybe even offense as well so you never know yeah i would have to say green lantern for sure is someone who's uh oh, wait underrated yeah and for the comet commanders someone who i think is a little underrated would have to be Wrecker ralph Oh, I, I think y'all know how critical I am of Disney characters. <laughs> and, you know, this is somebody who, maybe it's because I've seen him go into uh, literally other games and other universes and the internet itself and still find a way to destroy things. And, you know, to me, I think that's pretty impressive. And, you know, defensive tackles don't get a whole ton of love anyways to begin with, even if they are awesome. And I think wreck Ralph could definitely be one of the premier defensive tackles in this league. And last but not least, for my team, person that I would have to say is the most underrated probably have to be Quicksilver, because you know this is somebody who, like I said, a lot of him, a lot of people see him as somebody who is the knockoff version of the Flash, and you know that that's a little disrespectful. You know, he's still a person, he's still a superhero. You know, he can move and think at superhuman speed with great agility and reflexes, and you know he could run beyond the speed of light you know so he's he's honestly somebody who could go man to man with anybody in this league and speed will not be a problem for somebody like him especially if he could think super fast and on his feet as well i guess somebody else who might be a little underrated would might i guess might be gene gray like we all know she's powerful but i, I know y'all brought up a couple of times how that might be something her powers might be something that are hard to control you know and would take good coaching but i think she's somebody is in the right position with the Winifred Star Killers to succeed and surprise a lot of people and be one of the best defensive backs in the entire league. All right, so fellas, Simon, thank you for your most underrated players. And now I'm going to hit you with another question. What are some of the biggest rivalries that you could see? And now that we have the offensive side of the ball, you can talk defense to offense rivalries, or we can talk defensive position rivalries as well in this league. Oh, okay. Here, I'll go with biggest uh, rivalries on the defensive side of the ball first. I think that would be the most appropriate, I want to say. But I think on the defensive side of the ball, I would have to say the biggest rivalry between two defensive players, no, that is, probably have to be either General Zod or Dr. Doom versus the other middle linebackers in this league which consists of you know shazam uh megatron here's why i think both of those guys are super competitive obviously they're both evil geniuses evil leaders to a degree and they're people who have consistently taken l's and i think this might be the one league where they could get a lot of dubs against at least comparably against the other uh people that are comparable to their position honestly Obviously, they're just as powerful as some of these other middle linebackers, but I really do think they're super competitive being the villains they are, and they're they're hungry for that W, and I could see some rivalries building up with, uh, with those two against all the other middle linebackers in this league. Speaking of 
rivalries. I think the biggest rivalry, offense versus defense wise, would probably have to be my guy Venom against, you know, Spider Man on the Comet Commanders. And here's why. You know that both of them are pretty similar, right? They're pretty much polar opposite polar opposites in a lot of way. And it'll it'll be rare that you will see, you know, Venom go one on one with Spider Man. Uh, just because, you know, of the positions and whatnot. Venom is a outside linebacker, edge rusher type of guy. But, you know, I really do think that Venom, in my opinion, could probably go toe-to-toe in covering Spider-Man. He might have a couple penalties. It, it could happen. But, you know, Venom is somebody who's not afraid of anybody. And, you know, he, he'll, he'll, he'll test him for real, mentally and physically. And it may not even be that much of a clean matchup, which is why I think... Venom will probably pick on Spider-Man the most because he's somebody who, you know, compared to him, is a little bit less imposing and somebody that feels like he could really dominate realistically. I'll go ahead and go. I'll follow Simon's uh, Simon's pace here and go ahead and do defense first, defense against defense. I think a big, um, a pretty big rivalry we can see come out of these two defenses is the Titan Moon's free safety Green Lantern and the Winterfell Star Killers cornerback Sinestro. I mean, they're very much alike and they actually hate each other in real life. So, I mean, this is kind of like a, a Michael Crabtree, Akib Talib thing already going on. So, um, <laughs> it'll be fun to see how these two battle out. And I think he could definitely, there's already some bad blood there. And I think it'll just escalate in this in this league. As for offense and, offense and defensive rivalry, I think the, big, the biggest rivalry I think could, could come about and that I'm thinking is the most excited to see, and I think is going to be the biggest battle throughout the whole season, is obviously Doctor Strange, Comet Commander's Doctor Strange versus the Titan Moons, um, Doctor Fate. I think this is going to be the best matchup we have in this league. Free safety, or free safety, just safety in general, safety versus quarterback, um, the two leaders of the squads, and I think that this will be an, a fun rivalry to watch, and it could get pretty nasty at some, some points, and not only will it make those two nasty at each other but as the leaders of each team i think it could make a big like the whole all both teams nasty towards each other as the comic commanders take on the titan moons i think it would be a big a big turning point to see those two battle it out all year well jesse you brought up some great points and you uh i'm not gonna say you stole it because there's no way to measure who thought it first but i was definitely gonna bring up <laughs> those two sets of rivalries but <laughs> But I think uh, something that we will see at least rivaled on the defensive side of the ball might be uh, dark side versus the other safeties and defensive backs in this league and Dr. Strange and Jean Grey. You know, we have some really omnipotent, powerful beings and, you know, dark side's name hasn't been brought up, but he's going to live up to his stock as the first pick of the Titan Moon's defense. And, you know, I think he's going to show his worth but and he doesn't like smart mouths so that's why dr strange would immediately start to get on his nerves you know i could see dr strange chirping off at dark side and him becoming upset about it you know and then just being you know talked about less it's he's not a fan of that so i definitely know that deadpool will get on his nerves so we'll see some safety rivalries here outside of the you know green lantern and sinestro rivalry and then I also came up with another one because Doctor Strange and Doctor Fate, you know, that was the first one that popped into my head. But I see another Comic Commanders and Titan Moons rivalry here with 
Donkey Kong on the defensive in the defensive end position, and you know Bowser at center. You know, I mean, these are both the most well-known Mario villains, and you know they both kind of have a throne to claim as far as who belongs more in the league and who's a nastier player. And I could see Donkey Kong being sent into stunt against Bowser, not because that was the play call, but just because he wants the smoke. So we'll see what what happens in that situation. Very fair. All right. Uh, before we move on, I would just like to point out one more rivalry, and that would have to be uh, my wide receiver, Anakin Skywalker, defensive coordinator on Cody's team, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Look, I, I'm not exactly sure which versions of these characters we took, but either way, whether Anakin is on the light, or, you know, feeling his light side self or side self i think he always wants to you know show up obi-wan and show that he's a little bit better than him and i think a little overconfident but for the right reasons you know he is the chosen one he is your typical diva wide receiver and he's somebody who could make a lot of good plays and i think he wants to prove that especially to obi-wan when he plays their defense well speaking from the titan moon's perspective i uh i know that obi-wan will make sure that Anakin is covered and maybe it's in lava or maybe it's in sand, but he ain't getting past this defense. And then I was going to say another coordinator to player rivalry might be Vegeta and Goku, even though they're on the same side of the ball, you know, Vegeta, he's always tried to catch up to Goku. And I think he finally can by utilizing his mind, which is basically the only edge that he has on Goku other than being a better father. So, Wait, Vegeta being a better father than Goku? Yeah? What? Dude, Goku, I mean, Goku, throwing it. Goku be letting Piccolo, a guy who he... Goku just be dying all the time. How you gonna, like... Because he's trying to save the world for his son, bro. No, what do you mean? no, he's not. He just does it because he wants to fight. Like, and then he's like, know, oh, geez. shoot, Go Gohan, I hope you're chilling. Already, already, <laughs> there, <laughs> there it is. There it is. Okay, attacking a uh, Goku's fatherhood and you know parent skills. That's a that's a little personal. Not gonna lie, it's a little personal. But we'll we'll let it slide. You know, we'll we'll prove it on the football field. How about that? Hey. <laughs> so moving forward, we're gonna talk about the best undrafted free agents this draft they're obviously the only drafted starters right so we didn't draft any you know like backups or reserves or anything like that so there's definitely a lot of people who could potentially start or even you know contribute to this team so we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of them because i think it's unfair if we just leave out all of the other people that you know we didn't we didn't mention so yeah i'll go first because I'm the one who brought it up. I think one of the most powerful characters that we left on the board, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, would probably have to be the Scarlet Witch out of the Marvel Universe. She's somebody who could have played either offense or defense. She has great powers, arguably. She might have been a better pick than the Vision, which is ironic <laughs> for a lot of reasons. But uh, yeah, and I don't know. I think yeah, I'm just going to you know admit her mistake here because I think this is the only fair thing to do, but definitely after off the draft board, 
intentionally because I swore I put her on there and oh, she's not on there anymore. It is what it is, but she's somebody Simon. who definitely what? I was just gonna say what what uh, listener do we have to thank for making us feel like boneheads on that one? A shout out to our boy Yvonne <laughs> out of UNC for letting us know. See, I knew I was forgetting something too because I know on defense I was like, oh, I'm gonna get somebody who could basically do all the things Vision could do, and I was thinking of Scarlet. That would have so, been a better pick than Deadpool. What a shame. Probably would be. Well, you know what? If we signed her in free agency, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know how this whole thing works. But yeah, so that's <laughs> she could definitely be the Tom Brady of. Uh, or well, maybe not Tom Brady. I don't know. I'm trying to think of another undrafted free agent. Tony Romo of undrafted free agents in this league. How about that? I'd probably say then, Philip Lindsay. Or, you know, Philip Lindsay. I'd probably Lindsay. say Rod Smith. <laughs> okay, I'm not a Broncos fan, so <laughs> sorry. Shout out to my friend Rebecca. Sorry. <laughs> I know y'all were roasting me. Um. Okay. And then the other person that I think is a little bit of a sleeper, you know, he's from the Star Wars universe, kind of, not really, he's not really canon anymore, wasn't really ever canon, I would say, but it's Starkiller from Force Unleashed games. He's somebody who arguably is the strongest Force user of all time. Even even the clone version of himself was pretty strong, not gonna lie, and he's somebody who could have played offense or defense, he might have been a better pick than Anakin, but you know, there, there, there are some issues there in itself, he... His allegiance is something that could definitely be questioned by multiple people. You know, is he good? Is he bad? What is he? You know, I don't know. And that, that kind of ties in into his personality as well. He's a little bit of a wild card, which you know, on the Winterfell Star Killers, at least that's not exactly what we're looking for. But you know, maybe he's somebody we, we take because we did draft Deadpool too. So it's, it is you what it is. Y'all don't like wild cards, but you took Anakin and Deadpool. <laughs> hey, man. They have a bigger body of work than Starkiller, who has two video games. So, <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. All right. Fair enough. Go ahead. All right, so I'd say that the biggest, I want to say, like, letdown of this draft is no one drafting Martian Manhunter. You know, I strongly considered taking him at quarterback, and even though I didn't, I should have drafted him somewhere else. You know, he's super... Like he has super telekinesis and telepathic powers. You know, he's definitely my type of player and he was high on my board, but I just decided to go another direction. But he definitely still has a roster spot on this team. If if we can acquire him, you know, he's super powerful. He's matched up toe to toe with Superman and he has shape shifting abilities where he can turn into any Martian creature. So, you know, that would definitely be a huge change of pace and unlike anything else that we've seen in this league. As for my other best of the rest undrafted free agents i'm gonna go with storm out of x-men academy you know she's a student of the game and you know she could turn the weather in our factory you know if i draft her on the defensive side of the ball i can make the other team play in a blizzard only on their half of the field the whole time you know so it it's definitely a swing and a miss but you know storm could definitely end up being an elite special teamer maybe even if we went that direction, but yeah, Storm is definitely a missed opportunity for all teams involved here. All right, and finally, the the last two guys we'll look at here for undrafted free agents, um, we'll go with Reaper out of Overwatch Universe. Um, 
he can teleport. He is one of the the nastiest dudes in Overwatch, and um, I think he could fit onto some of these teams like like the Winterfell Star Killers, who just have that nastiness to them and stuff like that. I think Reaper would be a, a great safety type of person where he could just all of a sudden be in your backfield before you even know it, um, and you could just be there. Uh, the other guy I'm going to look at is uh, could also be a defensive back, Scorpion. Um, out of Mortal Kombat, um, he might have been a better choice than Black Panther at defensive back, but we won't know because, well, we did not draft him. So, um, you know, with those those chains and things, I was thinking if he has he has probably the best. Oh, what is it called? I just had it. The bet he probably has the best makeup speed in this draft uh, draft class. You know, if if the receiver gets too far away from him, he can just snap him right back to him. So, um, you know, Scorpion could have been uh, an asset that teams in this in this draft could have used so yeah all right okay ready to go the next one yeah okay and finally the final question for uh the 2020 fantasy fictional football draft we are going to look at the coaching staffs and um, we are going to say who we think the coach of the year is going to be we're going to say it goes between head coaches offense coordinators defense coordinators we're leaving scouts out of this so um Cody, do you want to head, go ahead and start and think and tell us who you think will be the coach of the year out of head coaches, offensive coordinators, and defense coordinators all together? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick Yoda as my head coach of the year because something that comes into factor when talking about coach of the year is expectations, right? We saw the offensive draft for for the comic commanders, you know, and a lot of people weren't overly impressed by the offensive line. You know, but I think Yoda is, you know, Yoda is going to be a positive coach who brings a sort of wisdom to him that a lot of these young guys necessarily need on the comic commanders, you know, and what, what the comic commanders didn't have in nastiness on the offensive side of the ball, they definitely got on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that it's going to make for a balanced approach at things. And that's the way that Yoda likes it. And I think that he's in a great environment where his coordinators are going to do their thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, Yoda is going to get the credit for helping this team achieve more than some people might speculate. So, head coach of the year, Yoda, Y-O-D-A. Oh, so just like who would do their job best, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, man, I, I wouldn't have hired him if I didn't think he would do a great job and the greatest coach of all time if not in this league at least and that would have to be bruce wayne you know he's somebody who is Wait, with bruce wayne uh the batman what bruce yes. wayne is batman yes he well whoops maybe i just gave away his identity oh you know? my god hey, how did i not identity, see that identity theft is not a joke anyways batman Sorry, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> hey, whatever. It doesn't matter. You know what? When he has already, this many dudes, he's already blown his cover. So what hey, does it matter? Hey, Batman it? has this many dudes on his team. You don't gotta worry about protection because he has a squad. Straight up, Batman's the type of guy who I feel could really relate to. You know, characters who are morally good and morally bad. I would say, and he's somebody obviously who has a plan for everything. He definitely had a plan to, you know, take down Superman if he ever went wild or rogue or whatever. And so I think he's just somebody who's always prepared. And honestly, 
may just be a human, but there's not going to be anybody that outplans or outworks him as a human being. And I really do think with this, all this hard work, he's going to make this team come together and the most out of this squad. Yeah, I'm being a homer. Bruce Wayne, Batman. Wow. I'm right. sure. And to, to finish it up, um, not being biased, but I think Yoda is the uh, coach of the year here. I think I'm going to just keep it short and sweet. I think he's the best leader of any of these coaches on this field. And I think that he will lead, I mean, not just the comic commanders, but any team he was on, he could lead, he could lead to victory. So I would say Yoda, coach of the year. This uh, voting committee committee is a little small and biased, if I <laughs> say so myself. Well, I know there's only three we, teams in the league, but. Why don't we make a poll? All right. And, and see what the fans think, or they can respond to this and, you know, find us on social media and then they'll DM us and be like, you know, I thought Obi-Wan was a good hire. You know, maybe somebody will give him. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, well, <laughs> we can do that. Yep. And that, that concludes this year's version of the fantasy fictional football draft. Um, I say this year because, you know, hey, there, there could be opportunities to do this again someday with possibly more people because, you know, there's never ever been a three-team league in history of anything before <laughs> taken seriously. So there you go. And even if some expansion draft, we have to protect players. <laughs> oh, see that? Hey, there we go. That's a good idea. I like that. Look. I like that. We'll have to well, see. Well, boys, that uh, that does it for this episode of the Cycle Three Six Five, Episode Thirty Three. Um, really enjoyed having you guys and finishing up these teams. It was a lot of fun. Yes, this was a fun draft, and uh, you know, the the only scarring part was finding out that Batman Batman was Bruce Wayne. I never saw that coming. So, but thanks for a fun draft, gents. Uh, it was a good one, and you know, hey, it is what it is. That's life. Thanks for rocking with us. You know, follow us on social media, show us some love, you know, give us a share and check out some of our older podcast episodes. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, pretty much anything you could think of. And yeah, next week. Oh, before I forget, next week, it will be the debut of our summer summer mini series about youth sports. Uh, this is a mini series where we'll have multiple guests on, a ton of different hosts and whatnot. And we're just going to talk about youth sports and go in depth into it. And you know what? I'm obviously somebody who is a physical, well, not anymore. I'm not a physical education major, but I will be a PE teacher. I have been a youth sports coach before. And, you know, this is kind of my thing. So I know what I'm talking about when uh, when we hit this topic. So, yeah, tune in uh, sometime next week before the next official episode of The Cycle 365. This is Simon Voyanos. Cody Stoffer. And I'm Jesse Booten. Peace.